For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. City. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. Live inside the Ocean Casino Studios, this is the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Hennings producing today's show. You out there. Sixers rough night at the office last night. They actually fought, kind of got back in that game with a two-point game at one point, And then I don't think they scored the rest of the way. It felt that way anyway. We'll get into that. Flyers win on a weird night at the uh, center last night, 6-2. Two empty netters. How many times do you see two empty netters in a game? Oh, and by the way, the lights went out. When do you see that happen? What's more rare, two empty netters, a left-handed goalie, or the lights going out? No left-handed goaltender last night for the Fly Guys. They beat Tampa Bay 6-2. to A lot of Eagles stuff uh, yesterday. We heard from Sirianni and, of course, uh, Howie Roseman. We'll dive into that as well as uh, the Phillies in action today. We've got a boom bomb. Alec Bohm going yard, doing a little yard work down there in his debut. Harper played today. Schwarber batted leadoff and played in left field today. Uh, so Schwarber playing in the field today. He's just not a DH. How about that? So a lot on the agenda and a lot to dive into as we uh, take a look at this Wednesday edition of the Sports Bash. Mike McGarry will be here at the bottom of the hour uh, Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer at 3 o'clock. Uh, Andrew DeCecco, football at 4 today. He is out at the Combine, so we'll hear from Andrew. Get his thoughts um, on that. Five from Danny Rye. Got the big three. But, like, I look at that Sixer game last night, and I don't know what to think about this team. I really don't. You know, Wode said before the game started that the Sixers are hopeful that, uh, Joel Embiid will be back in late March. Now, if they can get Joel Embiid back in late March, that's something. Uh, Woj last night said, I think there's some hope that the Sixers can get him back on the court sometime in late March. If you get him back sometime in late March, I, I think that's a win for you, man. I really do, because late March can be anything, but you take a look at what late March could potentially be for this team that's more than 10 games. And I said, like, I'd like to see him play like eight to 10 games. And if you get back in late March, I think that would get you to that eight to 10 game threshold that I'm kind of asking for. And look, they were in that game last night. They kind of hung around. I mean, they weren't like in Boston had control. The first half they played well. I thought Nick Nurse had them playing, mixing things up. He did a good job of kind of changing the defense and looks and rotations. And then Boston was like, what the hell is this team doing? And then just kind of like used their talent and pulled away from them. But the Sixers made a run. They didn't quit. They got back into the game. They just don't have enough right now. But the interesting part about it, like, okay, let's play along here. Let's say late March. They got a home game on Wednesday, March 27th. 
which is uh, against the Clippers. That's a game in Philly, James Harden. It's right after that four-game road trip where they play Phoenix, L.A., L.A., Sacramento. I could see March 27th, like going off of what Woads said last night, hey, the Sixers are hope that he gets back in late March. All right, well, he's not going to come back in the middle of a West Coast road trip. That's not happening. The home games before that, they play Charlotte on the 16th and Miami on the 18th. Well, 16 and 18 in my world doesn't uh, register as late March. That would be like mid-March. So if I'm being literal, Josh, here, I'm going late March would be March 27th does qualify for me as late March. The way it works is early March would be the first week, mid-March would be the two middle weeks, and then late March would be the last week. March 27th would be the last week of March and therefore qualifies as late March. So Woj says late March. I'm going late March. Wednesday, March 27th is my guess. Joel Embiid, ESPN, National TV versus James Harden. Welcome back. And then he gets one, two, three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And I said eight to ten games is what I'm asking for. That would get you eight potential games. There's one back-to-back in there. It's Memphis and San Antonio. So I doubt he does those. And he gets you a nice mix. You get L.A. at home, Cleveland on the road, Toronto on the road, Oklahoma City at home, Miami on the road, Memphis on the road, San Antonio on the road. So I think with the back-to-back there, he probably doesn't play in both of those games. Detroit, Orlando, Brooklyn, all at home to close out the season. I think that's best-case scenario. Going off of what Wode said last night, that's your best-case scenario, okay? His quote was, I think there's some hope that the Sixers can get him back on the court sometime in late March. Well, late March is the 27th. It's a home game against James Harden. That's your best shot right there. I mean, that is the warm and fuzzy feeling. That is the best one. That is, hey, you've got a shot to get Joel Embiid back playing 10 games and making whatever move you can in the standings. I think that's the best we can all hope for. Anybody out there agree, disagree, let me know. 609-403-0973. You know, so let's look at this game last night. And what you look at from this standpoint of what worked for them. They went really, really small at times last night. Um, And look, they shot the ball. They got hot at a, a little moment in the game. Campaign hit like back-to-back threes. He had three for five from three points last night. He gave him a nice spark off the bench. The problem is, as I see the roster currently, the Melton thing's a problem. I think Nurse said after the game, doesn't know what to expect from Melton, and it seems to be a, a problem. But Melton's a guy that's kind of important for them. He's a good defensive player. He can score. You know, I, I look at Melton – you remember, um, you remember this show. I remember because we were at Chickies and Pete's in Egg Harbor Township. I think the Phillies were in the playoffs at that time and the Sixers played the Celtics. The Sixers had beaten the Celtics on opening night and then they played the Celtics again and then Boston won that game. My observation from the Celtic win at that time is a similar observation. And even though he didn't play a good game last night is the Celtics, like they had their stars. Tatum is excellent. Porzingis, very good. Drew Holiday, steady as they go. Jalen Brown can be excellent. 
But they have White. And Derek White, to me, is the guy the Sixers lack. And I think Melton is like the Sixers version of White. Like, he is the guy that he's a pain in the butt. He hits that three, and you're like, oh, my God, Melton, really? We just gave up a three to Melton? And, like, when White hits that three, you're like, it wasn't Tatum that got me. It wasn't Porzingis that got me. It wasn't Brown that got me. It wasn't Holiday that got me. It was freaking Derek White. And he seems to hit that big shot in the big moments or get that big rebound or the big steal or the big block. And the last night, you look at his number, he only had six points. He didn't shoot a whole heck of a lot. But he felt like he was constantly like being a pain in the ass with a steal and a block and an assist, something big. And I think losing Melton is like the Sixers losing Derek White. Like Derek White kind of is their glue piece that puts that all their their starting stars all together. I, I really like the way he fits in on that team. The rest of that team, they're not very deep. I mean, when they have to go to Hauser and Cornette came in last night, although I thought Cornette came in and kind of changed the mojo of that game a bit. Uh Pritchard. They, they just do not have a lot on the bench last night or period. They, they are not deep, that Celtics team. And that's where the Sixers kind of got a chance to get back in that game last night. And they came back in that game last night, if you watched, without Maxie, who was excellent last night. I mean, Maxie pretty much threw the team on his back and tried to carry them to a win. And then when he sat down, you know, I got to give credit to a guy like, but here's the problem. Like, all right, campaign, for instance, he's three for five from three point range last night. He played 16 minutes. He scores 13 points. He's a plus 10. He played really well last night, but I don't know if he's going to play like that every single night. I got Ricky council last night scoring 16 points in 19 minutes. How consistent is Ricky Council Jr. going to uh, the fourth going to be for me? I don't know. Like so, what I saw from last night is I got a couple of guys in campaign and Ricky Council Jr. that I don't even know what your role is. Like I put you out there because I thought the game was pretty much over. Right? They came in the game at a time. Those guys come into the game at a time where you kind of felt the game was 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 done. Philadelphia is kind of out of that game, and you're like, oh, we'll put campaign in the game, and Ricky Council will give those guys some burn. And the next thing you know, you know, they're down 11 to start the fourth. They're down two in that game. They're down two points in that game with literally eight minutes left. Eight minutes left in that game. They're down two. They start at the fourth quarter down 11. Within four minutes, they cut an 11-point lead down to two, and then they just vanished. They just absolutely – and, like, I'm not sitting there saying, what are you doing? But I'm watching the game, and I'm thinking, I don't know what to take away from having Ricky Council the fourth play well and Cameron Payne play well. And then on the other side, it's like, well, Tobias Harris was awful again. And we'll talk to Keith Pompey about that at 3 o'clock. I got better Mo Bamba minutes last night than I did Paul Reed minutes last night. I don't know what to make of that. I mean, the other day we were talking about Bamba and essentially thinking like, all right, he's almost unplayable at this point. And then he was the more productive of the two big men last night. I mean, they're playing guys last night at one point. I think who was doing the game? Grant Hill was doing it with Brian Anderson last night for TNT. And Grant Hill says, you know, hey, Nick Nurse has done some three-guard lineups. Well, he's got a five-guard lineup out there. It wasn't so much a five. I mean, it depends how you classify uh, Ubre 
Um, is Ubre a guard? Is he a small forward? In, in like 1996, he's probably a small forward. Today, he might be a, a wing. Tobias Harris was on the court at that time. He's not a guard. But, I mean, I understand what he's saying. They got five guys out there who are not big men. And that was the team. And then he finally took someone off the floor and he put uh, Bomba in the game. But it wasn't Paul Reed. Uh, Buddy Heald was dreadful last night. He hit two threes to start the game. And you're like, hey, the Sixers are shooting the ball well. They're kind of in the action. And then Heald disappears. Kelly Oubre has been almost unplayable over the last couple of weeks here. He was 0 of 2 from 3. And the big look at his is the minutes. He's down 22 minutes he played last night. Paul Reed last night, he played 14 minutes. Bomba played 18 minutes. So Harris, his minutes got taken down last night, 29. Well, who's getting those? So there's a lot going on here that I definitely think that Nurse, and look, I'm not a blaming the coach guy, and I'm not blaming Nurse, but I think there's a lot that he's trying to figure out right now. And it's not easy that he got new guys and they're constantly turning over and I don't have him beat and I'm trying to figure this out. And now Harris is struggling and Ubre was a guy that I could count on early in the year. Now he's starting to struggle. I don't know what to do with Ricky Council and Cameron Payne because I got other guys that play the same position. So I don't envy the position that he is in right now trying to figure this all out. But I will tell you this. They finally got through that gauntlet of four, but that doesn't mean that it eases up at all. I mean, they do play Charlotte on Friday night, and listen, if you want to stay afloat and have a shot to get a four seed, which right now that shot seems to be out the door for the four seed, because after the game last night, and I talked about this yesterday, if you lose the game with everything else that was going on in the league last night, you had a shot to really take a fall and you did because what happened is almost what we talked about you lost Miami won they've now won five in a row Miami has passed you so Philadelphia currently is the sixth seed if the playoffs started today they would be the sixth seed playing Milwaukee in the first round not envious with or without Joel Embiid with the loss last night, Philadelphia fell to six, and now they are just a half a game above Orlando and a half a game above Indiana for the seven and eight spots. So we talked about on the show yesterday, Philadelphia loses that game last night, and it shifts them into another spot down to from five to six. So now you're closer to seven and eight than you are five. And if you look at what they have coming up, all right, they got Charlotte. That's a game you absolutely cannot afford to lose. You cannot lose to the Hornets. They are dreadful, right? They play Charlotte, but now you're on the road on Sunday at Dallas. You've got a plethora, just a ton of ESPN, ABC, nationally televised games still coming up. You got Dallas, you got New York, you've got Miami, you've got New York again, you've got L.A., you've got Sacramento, you've got L.A. again, you've got Cleveland, you've got Oklahoma City. I mean, that is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine nationally televised games coming up. So you got high-profile games, and you're going to have to pretty much play all of them without Joel Embiid. So it is imperative for them to get this game on Friday. You've got to do everything you can to get the Charlotte game. 
I would anticipate you go to Dallas and lose. You've got to get that Brooklyn game on, on Tuesday the 5th. Now, we're getting into March, by the way, right? The Tuesday nights in February are done. You're getting into March this weekend. They've got Brooklyn, who's not a good team, who bombed you the last time they played you in your building. So that's not a gimme. They've got another interesting, you know, Memphis is not a good team. So Memphis is coming up. So you've got to try to find a way to get the Charlotte game, the Brooklyn game, the Memphis game. New Orleans is a tough matchup for you. New Orleans kind of beat you pretty well the last time they played. And then you got back-to-back with the Knicks at Milwaukee. Back-to-back, by the way, on the road against the Knicks. You're at Madison Square Garden Sunday, Tuesday, back-to-back, and then at Milwaukee. I mean, who put this schedule together? Thanks for nothing. So you got those three there, brutal. Then Charlotte, thanks for popping them in the middle. Maybe give me a breather, and then it doesn't get any easier because i got to play Miami, Phoenix on the road, Lakers on the road, Clippers on the road, Kings on the road, Clippers back at home, Cleveland on the road, Toronto, who's not any good, Oklahoma City, Miami. I mean, literally, this schedule does not let up on this team. I don't know how they stay afloat. Uh, somebody texted in, the late March and early April schedule is not tough. Uh, when do you, when do you classify late March? Because late March for me, I got some, I mean, I got some tough ones in there. I just went through, but I'll go, I mean, I guess, I don't know, late March with the 20th wouldn't really qualify as late. You're like late mid-March there, but you've got that four-game West Coast swing. Phoenix, Lakers, Clippers, Kings, at home against L.A., at Cleveland. I mean, that right there, that stretch is 0-5. I mean, one, two, that's 0-6. You're screaming 0-6. I mean, I know the Lakers are just average, but you're going on the road one in five, maybe, if you don't have Joel. And then at Toronto, okay, Oklahoma City might be the best team in the league on some nights. At Miami, the last one, two, three, four, five games is where you have a little bit. You've got at Memphis, at San Antonio, Detroit, Orlando is a playoff team right now, and Brooklyn. So I don't know where that guy's looking at a, the schedule lightening up a little bit. I mean, jeez, it is not an easy test for them. And, oh, by the way, to the text message guy, you're trying to do this mostly without Joel Embiid. So you saw what happened last night. They played hard. They played as tough as they could. And, I mean, you're playing Boston. I get it. Boston's probably the best team in the league. Dan and EHT says the Sixers need to blow it up. Um, well, they are. I mean, this team is filled with, um, expiring contracts. So, Dan, the plan is to blow it up. And if you're saying blow it up, meaning get rid of Joel Embiid, that's not going to happen. But you're going to see a team that has Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, and literally you'll have 10 new guys on this team next year. I can't imagine them bringing, I can't see outside of Paul Reed who was signed. I don't see one guy of this group that they're like, we've got to bring this guy back. I mean, do you want to get a full season with Maxi and Heald together? Eh, probably not. I don't think that's something that they would care about all that much. Melton has been too injury prone. They can't count on him. He had the back problem last year. Now he's having the back problem again. 
I mean, I can't think of any guy on this team that is a free agent, and everybody's a free agent except for the three guys I just mentioned. Maxie is restricted, uh, so he'll be back. I mean, there's no way they're letting him go. Embiid and Paul Reed, I believe, are the only three players that are not on expiring contracts. Heald is a free agent. Harris is a free agent. Batoon is a free agent. Lowry is a free agent. Payne is a free agent. Melton is a free agent. Oubre is a free agent. K.J. Martin is a free agent. De'Anthony Melton is a free agent. Bomba is a free agent. That's 10 guys right there, all free agents. So you want to blow it up? You're getting 10 new guys next year, Dan and EHT. The only guys coming back is Embiid, Maxi, and Paul Reed is signed. So there you go. 609-403-0973. Mike, when is he supposed to come back from Andrew and Summers Point? Now, if you listen to Woj from last night, he said late March that the Sixers hope that they can get him back on the court sometime in late March. I mean, I mean, Woj is a pretty plugged-in guy. I'm not going to sit here and say uh, he's just saying stuff to say stuff, but late March to me would sound like the best-case scenario. That would be it. Uh, we'll uh, get that audio for you from Woj. Coming up here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. We'll get the full context of it. Here is uh, Adrian Wojnarski last night uh, when talking about when the Sixers could get Joel Embiid back on the court. They still are optimistic that they can get him back. I think there's some hope you know, that they can get him back on the court uh, by sometime in late March, uh, back starting to uh, get into condition and listen, the goal here isn't necessarily to try to bring him back and see how many regular season games you might be able to win with him. The goal is to get him as healthy as he can be for the postseason. Hope- All right, that's uh, Adrian Wojnarski last night. They're not going to try to get him to play every game and win all these games. They want him to get healthy and get his legs under him and get his cardio under him so that wherever they are in the standings and whoever they have to play, that that team is going to have to face a team that has a full brigade of healthy players. Something, by the way, they have not been able to be over Joel Embiid's entire career. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm Mike Gill. we got a busy show for you today. Coming up, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City joins us. Also... Coming up in 37 minutes from now, another chance for you to enter to win a trip to see the Orioles and Phillies at Camden Yards. Thanks to Philly Sports Trips, our Phillies watch party. Going to be here before you know it. That, in fact, it's a month from today. One month from today, we will be at Maynard's and Margate watching the Phillies and Braves, who we're playing right now. But in one month, they'll be doing it for real, and we're going to be there watching it live and giving someone a trip to go see the Phillies in Baltimore against the Orioles. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. When we come back, Press of Atlantic City columnist Mike McGarry is back here on the Sports Bash. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
You're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, 2.30 Sports Bash. Uh, Alec Bohm with a Bohm bomb today, and now he just doubled. Two-out RBI double for Alec Bohm. So Bohm now showing a little bit of power with the dong and then a double the opposite way. He's an interesting guy. Just how important is Alec Bohm to this team? And what does Mike McGarry think Bohm's kind of ceiling is? Has he reached his ceiling? Or do we think that Alec Bohm could be that one guy that I was talking about last week? Who's the guy, Mike, that can exceed expectations? Are we not thinking enough of Bohm? Is there more growth for Alec Bohm? Two for three today with a homer and now a double. Yeah, I think there is, Mike. And where I think it is is in the power department, right? I think that power can come when a player is 24, 25, 26 years old. And I think that's what Alec Bohm is right now. So I think he has room to grow as far as that power. And to me, we talked about it the other day. And I know the lineup today has Schwaber leading off. I don't think Trey Turner's uh, playing today, so I think Real Muto second and uh, Harper third. But I think, you know, the big question as to who, hit, who hits behind Harper, I'd I like a first four of Schwaber, Turner, Harper, and Bohm behind him. I think he makes contact. I think that power, you can maximize it there. And I just think Castellanos and Real Muto don't put the bat on the ball enough to hit behind Harper and offer Harper enough protection. Yeah, I like that one as well. I, I, I hope, Mike, and I don't know if they have Castiano sitting there today in the four-hole, Boom hitting right. five, but I hope that they give Boom the first opportunity. Last year it was Castellanos, and he had a great first half of the year, Castellanos, but he was so bad in the second half that Boom eventually worked his way up. But I hope they come out of the shoots with Boom hitting in that four hole there. But there's a couple guys not in the lineup. Turner's one, Stott's another one there. Uh, but Merrifield's another guy. He's continuing to hit. He doubled. He hit. He's been hitting all over the place. I find him to be a very as this spring training's going on here. I'm finding him to be a very interesting of where he will be in the wheel. Yeah, I think he's a guy that you have to use judiciously, right? I think, you know, he's been an all-star before. You know, he's hitting over 300 last year, but he kind of ran out of gas the second half of the season. He's 35, 36 years old. Again, he might be a guy, if he gets 350 to 400 at-bats this season, you're going to love him. If he gets 600 at-bats, you're going to say, hey, he ain't so great. So I look for Mary. Uh, uh, Merrifield to be a guy who gets those 400 at-bats, but I do think he could be a big addition for the team. And and I, I just like Bohm in that fourth spot. I mean, the last we saw of Nick Castellanos, I know he's hitting here uh, for, uh, fourth today, but this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately business. And, you know, what what he did for us lately was one for 21 with, what, like 18, 19 strikeouts in the postseason? Oh, so, yeah. Uh, you know, he cannot hit behind Harper. I think he's a down-in-the-order type of guy. Everybody, um, you know, was talking about Bohm struggling in the playoffs. He had a lot of sh- uh, chances, but 
he was the team in one of the best hitters in the league with runners in scoring position last year. And that with 97 RBI, you put him in that four hole, he'll have a lot more chances to hit with runners in scoring position. Now he has to try to match that. He's off to a good start. By the way, Schwarber, you mentioned Mike McGarry hitting leadoff today. Looks like a little trimmer, Kyle Schwarber. And by the way, he's out there dancing around in left field. Yeah, I mean, it never hurts uh, to see guys come in a little thinner than they were when they left, right? And Schwaber has had that knee that has bothered him the past couple of seasons, bothered him last year. And what's one of the recipes when you've got a little bit of a chronic knee issue, right, is, is to sort of lose some weight and take some pressure off the knees of the joint. So good to see him doing what he has to do in, in the off season. And look, you know, I, I think he's going to primarily be the designated hitter. I think they're a much better uh, defensive team with him on the bench of being a DH, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him out in left field for 20, 25 games and seeing Harper occasionally DH, or if you want to keep JT Realmuto's at uh, bat in a game, uh, if you're playing a double hitter or a day game after a night game, have him DH. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Schwaber out there for 20 to 25 games. Yeah, he, he said on Sunday's broadcast that he does want to play some outfield. Now, some could be 20 to 25, but uh, right, that he doesn't right. want to just DH the entire season. But, uh, hey, a little trimmer could be a uh, better sign on the base pass because, you know, hey, one of the things with him, getting from first to third, if you're going to hit in the leadoff spot, having to get around the bases when you got the heavy hitters behind you, you get a gap or you got to be able to score on a, on a double in the corner or something like that. So uh, good stuff there. All right, Phillies in action. We'll keep you up to date on on that they're up 5-4 on the Braves one month from today Phillies and Braves opening day now Mike I don't know what you take away from that Sixer game last night right but before the game Adrian Wojnarowski said the Sixers hope to have him be back in late March now I'm looking at the schedule I got Wednesday March 27th it's a home game against James Harden and the Clippers does late March Wednesday March 27th, sound like a good spot for you. Sounds like a good spot to me. I mean, it certainly would be a good day for him to come back. Look, whenever he can come back, be it March 27th or whatever, uh, you know, that that's opportune for them. I think what you're seeing here right now with this Sixer team, right, is that there is no hope unless he's back, right? That's I mean, for sure. You know, the Knicks blow him out. They beat Cleveland, but then they get blown out by Milwaukee. They get blown out by Boston. Look, they just don't have enough firepower to, to win without him. The only blessing for them right now is that the team right in front of them, the Knicks, is just as banged up as they are, if not more so. The Knicks missing Jalen Brunson last night, missing three other starters, and lost to New Orleans at home. So it's not like the Knicks are going to maybe pull clear of the Sixers. Maybe the Sixers can run them down, get the four seed, or, or stay in the five seed spot or whatever. But, uh, yeah, right now, I mean, the Sixers just do not have a nice enough firepower. Now you hear there's some issues with Melton's back, so yeah. that's another guy. You know, what's up with him? Uh, there's just not enough firepower there. So, it's, you know, you got to do what you can until Embiid comes back. And this whole thing, Mike, is it's the same story. It's going to be the same story every year. It's going to be the same story as long as Embiid is in a Sixers uniform. How healthy is he going to be when they throw the ball up for the playoffs? If he's completely healthy... Boy, they have a shot against anybody in the NBA. If he's not healthy, 
they don't. It's as simple as simple that. Simple as that. You're right. And, and like, that's the thing, Mike. And I know, like, right now, I think people are just kind of like, where you are. Without Embiid, what do I even care? But, like, I'm watching this game last night, and they're kind of, you know, they're scrapping for a half. And, you know, and then the talent of Boston starts to pull away. And then, you know, they almost wave the white flag, and guys like Cameron Payne and Ricky Council are bringing you back in the game. And I'm thinking, what am I, if I'm, if I'm Nick Nurse, what am I taking away from this game? Like, do I, am I supposed to find more minutes for Cameron Payne and Ricky Council? Whose minutes are they taking? Like, I feel like he's in a really tough spot. Like, every night he's playing four and five guard lineups just to try to compete. I, I feel bad for Nurse in some extent here, but I don't even know what I can take from this team in a game where they fought and clawed last night. Yeah, you can't take anything away from the game. It's as simple as that. I mean, give them all the credit in the world for playing hard. It was the same thing with the Knicks game, the first game out of the break, right? Boston goes up, the Knicks go up, and then they kind of, it's the NBA. They're up by double digits, and they basically go to sleep. So if you keep playing hard, yeah, they're going to cut into the lead. But every time they cut into the lead, boom, Boston would score and push the lead back out. Same thing with the Knicks game the other night. Same thing with the Milwaukee Bucks game the other day. So give the Sixers credit for playing. But, you know, if you're looking for bright spots, if you think you're finding something in, in Ricky Council, the fourth who's on a two-way contract, <laughs> or Cam Johnson, or, or any of these other guys that are out there, I mean, that's, you know, it's, that's just not happening, uh, you know, when the basketball gets real in the postseason. All right, Mike McGarry, uh, Josh tells me that you were timing out this uh, hit, that you're at the rest stop. Where are you <laughs> heading tonight for uh, pre-March Madness? Yeah, perfect timing. I left my house and how got to the Lacey rest area, knew you guys were going to call, quick hit here, and then down the parkway, another one, I guess 60 miles down to Middle Township. Boy-girl double hitter tonight. Uh, Manchester and the Middle Township girls at five. Middle and Haddonfield boys at seven. South Jersey group two semifinals. It'll be a packed gym down there at Middle Township as they continue their quest to defend their South Jersey group two title. And, and Haddonfield and Middle Township, two of the magic names in South Jersey basketball meeting tonight at seven o'clock. So just a great time of year. Packed gyms, packed gym at mainland yesterday. You know, Mike, everybody always complains like this time of year in sports after the Super Bowl, it's a dead period. February stinks. What are we going to talk about? To me, this is just as good a time as any because of that high school basketball tournament. Great games, great performances every night. You talk about people leaving it on the floor. You know, these kids literally playing as if their careers are on the line, and it's really just tremendous to see. Yeah, and you uh, last night there was a lot of action going on. You got to see a 60-year-old record get broke last night uh, over in Linwood. Yeah, Skip Castaldi of Mainland had the school career's boys scoring record with 1,752 points. Skip graduated Mainland in 1965. The scary part about is that I was born in 1965 on March 25th. <laughs> so I was probably born a couple days after Skip set the record, right? And the record stands 59 years to Cohen Cook breaks it last night. And he's the new Mainland wow. career scoring leader. Mainland beats Delsey. Skip was there to take a picture with Cohen. So 
really just a great, uh, great night for those two guys and a little bit of a weird night, I have to admit, for me. Yeah, so uh, I had no clue that he was getting that close to the scoring because you're right, Castaldi's record, I mean, has been there for 60 years. Like, it's never even been close uh, anybody's gotten to that number. And Cohen Cook gets there. And by the way, Cook, what a career this kid. I mean, football state champion. He's going to New Hampshire to play football. Basketball now, he's become the school's all-time leading scorer, and then he might do something in the baseball season. Yeah, don't forget, Mike, Cohen Cook, and this is just a great senior class for mainland, both boys and girls. I don't think this school in its history, I think the school opened in like 61, has had a better senior class of athletes, both boys and girls, than it has right now, and Cook symbolizes that. When he's a sophomore, he leads mainland to the Cape Atlantic League Basketball Championship. As a junior, he's the winning pitcher as Mainland wins the South Jersey Group 3 Baseball Championship, throws a complete game. This year, he's a big part of the 14-0 and football team. Now he's the school's career scoring record and uh, in basketball, and he's still got a basketball season, a couple games left at least, hopefully for him and the Mustangs, and a baseball season to go. And I also hear he can solve a Rubik's Cube completely <laughs> in about 30 seconds, and he's some sort of street hockey Summers Point legend. So uh, is there anything that Cohen Cook can't do? I don't know. Uh, I Fair. actually coached Cohen in baseball when he was 13. I have a pretty funny story uh, about Cohen, just the, the uniqueness of him as a player. But, hey, you were at Mainland. You could have gotten your car and gone and saw the buzzer beater last night over in Ocean City. Yeah, great game there. Ocean City's down. We we get the score over at Mainland, and it's Ocean City down 16 at the half, 18 at the half. But, you know, Red Raiders are having one of those magical seasons. John Bruno, maybe the best season he's had as an Ocean City coach, which is saying something because he's won a Cape Atlantic League title. He's won a South Jersey title. And Charlie Labar at the buzzer, you know, beats Cherry Hill West and, and Ocean City advances. So, you know, literally the definition of survive in advance for the Red Raiders last night. Wild night. Uh, all of the action. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City, pressofac.com. As the high school playoffs are in full swing, teams are still alive. Uh, get out there, man. I, the only thing I said I, yesterday, the girls played the, the 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, come on, man. 4 o'clock for a playoff yeah, mainland, game. Mainland does flip it. So if you're planning to go to Mainland on Thursday, Mainland will play. The Mainland boys will play Morristown at 4 o'clock. And it's the Mainland girls against Cherry Hill West at 6 o'clock. And that Mainland-Morristown game is interesting because last year, Morristown beat Mainland in the South Jersey Group 3 semifinals with a three-pointer at the buzzer at Mainland. So Mainland looking to avenge that defeat tomorrow afternoon. Right, can I get a 5.30 and a 7 so somebody can get there to watch the game? I mean, come on. Jeez. All right, Mike McGarry, everybody. Uh, if you want updates on all the games, uh, at AC Press McGarry on Twitter X. Thank you, Mike. All right, we'll see you down the road. Thank All you. Right, Mike McGarry, everybody, uh, always uh, here on the Sports Bash. He'll give us the weekend preview on Friday, which uh, we got a lot happening on Friday. We'll have Sixers, Hornets, Flyers, and Capitals, Phillies weekend. Uh, the Combine is going on right now. Andrew DeCecco has football at four. Coming up in 16 minutes. Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer. We'll talk a little Sixers from him. Get his take on when he thinks it could be back. What's going on with the Anthony Melton? What's these rotations going to look like? It's a look. It's a team that is so incumbent on Embiid returning. But does Keith feel that it's a fait accompli that Embiid will be back? 
More Sports Bash coming up on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. It's the Sports Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mike Gill. And I am the voice of the voiceless. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, 10 to the top of the hour. In a move that should, should surprise nobody, uh, the Flyers have waived goalie Cal Peterson. Uh, he was 2-2, two and two, which I can't believe, with a 3-9-0 goals against average. But in the month of January, he was uniquely inept. He gave up 11 goals on 65 shots. I, I mean, now what's the story of Peterson? How'd they get him? He was uh, traded from the Kings to Philadelphia. So there was a three-team deal last summer. So in the deal it sent Ivan Proveroff to Columbus, the Kings ended up sending Cal Peterson and Sean Walker to the Flyers. So Walker is here. Now, Walker could be a guy that gets traded. Go to our website, 973ESPN.com, and uh, there is an article of the three most uh, likely Flyers to be traded. The whole Flyers thing is going to be interesting at the trade deadline. That's definitely, you know, the NHL does it right. The NHL trade deadline hasn't happened yet, and you think the season's like literally. Now, the only thing with the late trade deadline means less time to fit that guy and get him games. Right. But you, like, the Flyers are in this now. Like, if the trade deadline was when the NBA trade deadline was, you wouldn't know what you are. The Flyers are in this thing. Like, they won again last night. And by the way, they had two empty netters in the game last night. Yeah, and they did it without the lights on. Yeah, what happened? I saw, like, everybody talking oh, about it. Story. Were you watching the game when it happened? I was watching the Flyers So you game went Flyers over Sixers last well, night. Well, the Sixers didn't start till like, what, 7.30? Oh, so this started early. Flyers started at 7. I know that, but I'm saying you the the the, the lights went out. I thought the lights didn't go out. It was early until, in like, the first quarter. Oh, okay. The first period, I was I saying. thought it was in the second. No, the lights came back on in the second. It was about halfway through. So did they play with the lights off? So the only lights that were working were like the the lights that were like directly near the ice. Basically, you couldn't see the crowd for like a period and a half. It was like a it was like the cold crowd was like blacked out on television almost. And they asked both uh, both coaches, Tortorella and Cooper, are you okay with us playing? The players seem to be okay. They're like. Tortorella's like, yeah, I want to play. I got a one nothing lead on Tampa. <laughs> Tortorella looked hilarious with the arm in his thing. He had, he had a hand right, surgery. Right, he got a broken hand or something? Yeah, he had some surgery on his hand. But the thing was, I was reading the athletic article where the players were saying that it reminded them of the stadium series game because of the lack of lighting. There was no Lou Nolan for a while there. So wait, why was no Lou Nolan? There was a, there was a power outage. Basically, there was one of the circuits basically burned out. So they had no, they had no Lou Nolan, no music, no effects. It was just pure guys playing hockey, and you couldn't see the fans. So the the fans just sat in the dark and watched the games. Yep. <laughs> you know, I I well, I was watching the Sixers game, and I saw some like actually saw somebody post on X that. 
they were talking to like whoever runs the building, and I'm thinking, what's going on here? Yeah, so apparently the the story is is that there was an entire fuse that basically just got burnt out. I didn't realize they kept playing. Oh yeah, well they stopped it. it for like maybe like five minutes. But then they kept going and, you know, Boucher kept saying on the television broadcast, he's like, I don't know how the goalies are going to handle this, but they ended up handling it pretty well because there really wasn't any scoring until after the lights came out. Well, and Peterson on. wasn't playing. Well, that too. That probably helps. <laughs> so Peterson just got waved by the Flyers. Um, but I like, listen, I, I think, um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this, uh, the standings and then the Flyers and the math for them coming up in the next hour here. But, uh, yeah, I think you got to get in. I think if you haven't been a Flyer guy, you got to get in. Flyers Capitals Friday night. That game will be on Rock 1041 and the Rock 1041 mobile app. All right, right there. It is our Phillies Watch Party Sounder. Philly Sports Trips wants to send one lucky listener and a friend to Baltimore to see the Phillies play the Orioles at Camden Yards. Right now, caller 7, you're entered for that chance to win that trip. At 609-573-3776, 609-573-3776. Caller number seven, you're entered for a chance to win a trip to Baltimore to see the Phillies play the Orioles. Thanks to our friends at Philly Sports Trips, you'll get round-trip transportation, lower-level tickets to the game, and a fully catered pre-game party. That's all thanks to Philly Sports Trips. It's all going down Monday, excuse me, Thursday, March 28th for Philly's opening day. Our Philly's opening day watch party is at Maynard's in Margate. Caller 7 right now. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. All right, just after three, Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, Sixers lose last night. They're kind of in the game, then they're not in the game, and they get back in the game. And I know people are like, look, wake me up when Joel Embiid comes back. But I got so many questions about that and what we saw last night, and I got one man to answer them. Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer. He's going to join me now to kind of uh, give us some perspective on what this team is, what they can be, what they think they are, where they're going. I don't know where I what I was watching last night. I mean, I'm watching a team down 11 to start the fourth. They're down two with eight minutes left, and then they just go completely cold. They get back in the game with no maxi. I got guys that most people in the listening audience probably don't even know are on the team. Keith Pompey is here from the Philadelphia Inquirer covering the Sixers. How are you, my friend? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, man. As always. So I need some perspective on what we got here. So let me first pick your brain on the anticipation from you on a Joel Embiid return. Yeah, late March, sometime at all. Where do you think this kind of sits? You know, that's a great question because I think no one actually knows the answer um, besides Joel, right? I mean, what's going to happen? But it's funny because, you know, I'm walking around the, the facility or, you know, in the arena and I'm saying to people affiliated with the Sixers, so is Joe coming back? And they're like, yeah, 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 he's coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it goes like, yeah, yeah, we hope he's coming back. So it, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people are optimistic that he is going to return. But again, it's, it's, it's one of those things you got to get through those tests. You got to see how everything works out. 
we'll get a better idea early next week, you know, on, on how he's doing. So, but me personally, um, if, if, if you ask me if it was a gun to my head, I mean, I hope I'm not committing suicide, but, um, <laughs> I do think that we will see him. I do. Like at one point, I mean, if it doesn't get as bad as it could, I mean, if it turns south, I mean, I do think that we, we will see him because I think that part of the reason that a guy like a Kyle Lowry would come here, the main reason is because you expect Joel to come back and play. You know what I mean? You think you're going to play with him. Right. So I, now, I do think he'll play. Now, on that, Keith, you said, like, where are they? I mean, it's almost inconceivable that they fall any further than eighth. I mean, they would really have to be bad. But do you, like, the yeah. teams that are ninth and tenth, I mean, they're almost, what, ten games behind them. I mean, so in other words, if they're in the play-in, do they say, you know what, it's worth it, let's go? You know what, I do. I think here's the crazy thing about this team. Like, we're looking at it right now, right? We all know that when you play with Joel Embiid, it opens everything up for other people. Like, Buddy Hill's going to automatically start making the shots that he's missing because people aren't going to close out on him, right? They're going to they're gonna be open looks. And I feel like if they make a play-in tournament and, and Joel Embiid comes back, I think that's going to elevate the play of everyone else. And then we'll look at it as if like, oh, they're not that bad. And it could be a hard out for a team. Now, again, I don't I'm not saying that they're going to go deep in the playoffs. But I do think that if Joel Embiid comes back and if he's in shape, that's the key thing. If he's in shape, I do think that they're a team that those other teams that are in the play in aren't, aren't going to have a chance with. And if I'm like the Milwaukee Bucks or or if I'm the Cleveland Cavaliers, let's say if they can continue to be in number two, the number two team, then, you know, you may look at it like the Sixers could win that series, you know. But again, I'm saying that with a healthy Joel Embiid, right. but looking at what we saw yesterday and the day before that, you know, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if someone said, Pompey, you don't know what you're talking about because of what we saw without him. By the way, they are six up on the Bulls. They are seven up on Atlanta. They are the nine and ten teams. And they are yeah. 11 up on the Nets. I mean, it's almost inconceivable yeah. that they don't at least get into the play-in. But where they would fall in there uh, is the big thing. So, yeah, all right. Now, last night was reported by Adrian Wojnarowski, late March. That sounds yeah. to me. I see a date of Wednesday, no, uh, March twenty seventh. They have a home game against the Clippers. That seems to be the only conceivable late March date for me, and that gets you a, a, a box of ten games, which you probably don't need to see them in all ten. They got a lot of weird road trips. They're on the road for four, home for one, back on the road again. But does March twenty seventh is that a date that Keith Pompey would let a West Virginia guy put a gun to his head and say, "Give me the date, man." Uh, maybe not. Not a West Virginia guy. <laughs> hey, but here's the deal. But that makes a lot of sense because let's think about this. So the injury that he had, no one's saying what it is, but basically what he did is just because of the timeline, he got it snipped, right? Yep. So in his knee. So what that is, that's a four to six week injury. They were saying six to eight, which gives them two weeks uh, to recover. Typically, you're a former athlete. You played college baseball, so you know all this. When they tend to say stuff, they normally uh, err on caution, so they always push it back. So that is a pretty good target date. Now, I also think Woj put that out there 
to like kind of calm down the masses, so to speak, because with a six to eight week recovery time, that is late March, right? So that's what you're telling us. So now I do think that if he's in shape for those 10 games, a week and a half or whatever it is, two weeks, he should be fine. I mean, he should be because I feel like, honestly, I think that his knee, now he's a big guy. I would be shocked if he's not 100% healed after five weeks, right? And then from there, it's one of those things, I mean, at the latest. And then from there, he'll have on-court time, practice time, you know. But my thing is, unfortunately for the fans, they got a lot of road games at that time. It would be great for him to, like, you know, be at home and, and do that. Now, in the Clippers game, that is a home Clippers game, correct? Or is that a road Clippers no, game? No, they, they play on the road the week before oh. in that okay. four-game road trip, and then they play them again in Philly on the 27th. But there's well, like it's one. like a four-game yeah, road trip, a one-game home, and then a three-game road trip. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. So, yeah, that, I mean, that, that, that makes sense because – then also with the knee, you don't have to worry about because that's a long flight out there. Yes, you know what I mean. Like you, you don't want to worry about like are there going to be any complications with swelling or anything like that. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, all right, that makes sense. So in the meantime and in between time, I, I feel bad for Nurse to some extent of like what what can he try to figure out? Like last night, I got a game. Is campaign one of my guys? Do I need to get Ricky Council more minutes? Do I, what am I, that's going on with Melton? Is Ubre falling out of the rotation? So kind of give us your thoughts on that little triumph. Because he did say last week, you know, it's healed, it's Melton, it's Lowry, and uh, Ubre, he mentioned for the, for the fifth starter spot. I mean, Ubre has been terrible. You've got Melton with the injury. Are you, are you counting on Ricky Council and campaign all of a sudden? Lowry. So what do you make of what he's got to deal with with that group? You know, I, I think basically what he needs to do is, and it's tough because Kyle Lowry is older. He's about to be 38 next month, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I think that you need some direction. And and I'm not to say that Tyrese Maxey isn't a director, so to speak. I mean, he's an all-star point guard, but Tyrese Maxey is a scorer. You need someone that's going to get guys in great positions because right now they're missing a lot of shots. And if you notice, when Kyle comes in, you know, he doesn't do much in regards to scoring the ball, but he plays with a lot of grit. And you often see him when he's off the ball pointing like, hey, you go over there. Hey, you go over there. Yep. And I'm like saying, nah, man, just take the ball and just throw it to the guy instead of you telling the other guy what to do. So now, again, you don't want to use up all his minutes and everything like that. But I feel like you have to have a, a, a leader who's going to get the guys the ball. Right. Secondly. Tobias Harris has to step up. You know what I mean? He has to step up. And then when you go down to that fifth starter, it's one of those things where, you know, right now you're looking at it, you know, could it be Ubre? Yes. But then at the same time, if you got Maxi cooking and if, if you have um, Tobias cooking, which he hasn't been lately, then you need some defense out there. That's what you need. And, and, and that's what I think. But, you know, it, it's, it's tough for Nick Nurse because he's trying out different situations, different starting lineups. He had started Ubre last game, and he didn't give them what they expected. You know, he struggled mightily. Yes, he did, and uh, he's been on a weird stretch. Uh, you, know, and, you know, some people, all of a sudden you're starting to hear, well, I, this is why Ubre uh, was hanging around. He played really well early. But you mentioned 
Harris. I mean, you talk to him, you've seen him for the last five years. I mean, you get the sense that he's lost some confidence or just going through a rut here. You know, I get the sense that something isn't right with him. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, you uh, a lot of times these guys are saying, oh, I'm cool, I'm cool, I'm cool. But if you notice, you know, he missed two games because of injury, and then he came back, and he just doesn't look himself. And, and yeah, you can say, you know, after a while, if, if your shot isn't falling, then are you going to keep shooting it, right? And then you might have some apprehension. But it's just something just doesn't look right to me because if you remember in the beginning of the season, he was struggling. And then he started cutting to the basket. He became more aggressive. And now stuff just isn't falling. Now, on the defensive end, he doesn't look too bad. But offensively, he's getting the ball ripped from him. He's missing bunnies. He's doing a lot of other things. So my big thing is, is he protecting or is he trying to hide that something's wrong with him? Because – it's just crazy how he gets injured, and then he forgot how to play when he returned. Yeah, you know uh, what I mean. That, that's an interesting point. Like, he, you, funny you say that he's missing bunnies. I mean, it just seems that he's having such a hard time just finishing around the rim. He gets to the basket, he can't finish. He's getting shot blocked a lot. Keith Pompey from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Okay, so I think most people too, Keith, think that this team with Joel is better than last year's team. Do you feel that way? And there's a reason I asked that question. You know, I felt like, no. I mean, in the beginning of the season, we did. But I felt like, you know, I felt like at the beginning of the season, we felt like this team was better, right, before they made the, the changes. Because I looked at and I saw the, the grit that they had. You know, I mean, you had a guy like Daniel House who – who rarely played, but when he played, you knew he was going to come in and give you, provide energy, right? You know, Marcus Morris, you can say what you want about him on the defensive end, but you knew he was going to knock down shots. He was going to give you buckets. Um, Pat Bev was going to, you know, show you the grit. Now, the thing is, the question is a lot of things that what we talk about this team being better, and initially it did look better because they took the ball out of um, – I'm talking about in the beginning to see they took the ball out of James Harden's hand. He wasn't there. They gave it to Maxie. But see, the difference is when Joel Embiid was out, that's when James Harden stepped up. That's when they spread the floor. He did what he had to do, and you got the buckets. You don't have that. You have it in Maxie a little bit, but he can't do it on the level that Harden does, right? That's the interesting part about it. That's good. I think people look at Maxie and think, well, he's better than Harden is. Well, I'm looking at last year when Embiid didn't play. They were 11 and five. Yeah. Now they're seven and 17 without Embiid. And I'm yeah. saying, well, what's the big difference there? Harden was the lead dog last year, and now you got Maxi, which is weird because people think Maxi is right now better than Harden. Nah, I mean, you know, the thing is, if we look at Harden the way he's playing, I think Harden kind of got like back uh, blacklisted. <laughs> like he doesn't ask to get traded too many times to where it's like, nah, bro, you're not gonna make an All Star. But you look at to see how he's playing now with the Clippers. I mean, he's the guy that's keeping them going. Like, yes, of course, Kawhi and Paul George are like the leading scorers and stuff like that. But it's the way that Harden is playing, the way he's playing seamlessly, the way in big games he's knocking down shots, the way he's getting them all involved. Yeah, he's, you know, don't get me wrong. Maxi is going to ascend to be there one day. Yeah. But he's just not there because, see, the problem is last year, when Joel Embiid was injured, 
Harden was good enough to will them to wins. Right now, Maxi did it. He did it the one time. Now I'm going to give it to him. He did it against the Utah Jazz. But since then, against the Milwaukee Bucks, against the Knicks, against the, um, um, the Boston Celtics, he played well in those games, but he just couldn't get them over the hump. He just couldn't, and Harden could. Uh, Keith Pompey for the Philadelphia Inquirer. So we all know, I mean, if Embiid is not here, this, this is lost, right? But if Embiid is back and, and the other day, uh, Nick Nurse said, Maxi, Harris, Embiid, Batum would probably be his stars. And he said, probably Buddy Heald. How many, what's the rotation look like? How deep does he go in a playoff? Because right now, last night he's playing like 11 guys and I feel like he's like, I don't know who to play right now. I'm trying to figure this all out. Yeah, let's say, so right there, that's five, right? Yep. So then you have, and unfortunately, De'Anthony Melton, we don't know what he's going to, what's going to happen with him. But let's assume that De'Anthony Melton is, is healthy, right? So from that particular point, the way I look at it is, it's going to be, um, Kyle Lowry, right? Um, uh, Kelly Oubre and, and, and D Melton. I mean, that's how I look at it. I mean, honestly, that's how I look at it because, you know, I'm talking about like an eight-man rotation. Yeah. Now, they may go and let Mo Bamba play. But if you notice something. Is Bamba gonna... over Reed? If Embiid's healthy, is Bamba getting the minutes oh, over Reed? Oh, Reed? Nah, I okay. don't think so. Gotcha. I don't think well, so. Well, because Bamba got the minutes last Embiid. night. Huh? Bamba got the minutes. They played him last he, night. He got it. But the thing about Bamba, like, is to me, it's like, it's weird, like, you know, some days they seem like they're comfortable with them, and some days they're not, right? Yep. So the thing is, if you think about it, what Paul Reed does is, you know, you can have him come in, and it may be when, like, if MB gets back in shape, you know that Paul Reed is going to play like five minutes at the at the start of the second quarter. Yeah. You know, five minutes at the start of the fourth quarter. That's about it. And he gives you like, you know, his job is just to run to the rim, grab rebounds, do whatever. It just seems to me like I don't know what it is, but Mobamba's minutes are extremely inconsistent. It's like there's some games where they want to go to him. There's other games where they're like, uh, nah, let's take him out and we'll go with, um, you know, uh, Nick Batum, right? So I look at it as if that Nick Batum will be a guy and it's a playoff setting. So we're not playing every night, right? So a playoff setting, Nick Batum will be a guy whenever they want to go small ball center he's going to slide into that role, right? So I don't know how much these centers are going to play, but, like, if Embiid is back, I do believe that it will be Paul Reed over Mo Bamba. Right, so that would mean a guy like Campaign, Martin, uh, who's hurt right now, um, would be kind of out of the rotation. And Payne, of course, comes in. Ricky Council, another guy, scored 16 in 19 minutes last night, but no spot. He wants to keep it a little tighter Eight, you go Ubre, Lowry, and Melton. Yeah, I mean, but that's if Melton is back. If Melton's not back, then, you know, you got to look at it. I mean, because here's the thing about I like Ricky Council. I love what he's doing. But if you notice, when everybody was healthy, he wasn't even traveling with the team, right? So it's like, it's kind of sort of like, yeah, he's playing well. But I think that if you had it, if you're Nick Nurse and you're saying we're going into a playoff game where it's going to be, Every every possession matters. Am I going with uh, Kelly Oubre, a veteran, or am I going with this rookie? You know what I mean. So th- that's where it comes in. That and like 
Kelly Oubre can play the two. He can play the three. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, Ricky Council, C4, you know, he brings the grit. He brings everything. But I tend to think that a lot of times that these young guys, they tend, unless they really do whatever they can, they tend to don't get the minutes. You know what I mean? They don't. They just don't. Uh, Keith Pompey, the Sixers are off till Friday night. They finally get a little breather in the schedule. Uh, they have the Hornets after four brutal games, but then they've got Dallas on Sunday. A lot of uh, high-profile games still left to go. Uh, Keith Pompey and the Sixers from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Thank you, Keith. Hey, man, thanks for having me in hell to pit. <laughs> All right, man. He was kind enough to come on and give us good info, so I give him the, the last word on that. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Yeah, Pitt and West Virginia guy, we can coexist from time to time. You just heard it there. Keith Pompey, one of the good guys out there, does a great job. Covered the Philadelphia 76ers, and I mean, he brought up a lot of great points. And the one thing that he brings up is an interesting one. He said, I do think that we will see Embiid. He did say that, but... The big thing is, I thought was interesting is, he thinks that last year's team was better than this year's team. And it's the whole, you know, last year the Sixers had James Harden. If Joel Embiid was out, James Harden, the proof might be in the pudding here. They're 11-5 and last year without Joel. So they didn't turn into a dumpster fire without Joel Embiid. They won 11 games in 16 tries. They're 7 and 17 without Joel Embiid right now. More sports bash coming up on the way. We've got uh, a lot to get into, including uh, the Mel Kuyper mock draft 2.0. Where does he see the Sixers going this time around? Change from the last time. Uh, what the Flyers win last night means mathematically. That's coming up as well. Uh, football at four. Five from Danny Rye. All that. Plus the big three tonight. Don't go away. More sports bash on 97.3 ESPN. This. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 327 Sports Pass this hour brought to you by Broadley's Plumbing, Heating, Air Conditioning. Broadley's your trusted source for Heating and plumbing service and installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907. Online, broadleys.net. Jeff in Ocean City is our latest qualifier for the Phillies road trip to Baltimore. Thanks to Philly Sports Trips. We're going to be live on opening day, March 28th. One month from today, Josh, Phillies and Braves. We're going to be at Maynard's and Margate. They'll have opening day on. We'll be there doing the show. And we're giving away a trip to Baltimore. Camden Yards will be the destination. So, Phillies, by the way, playing the Braves today. They're up 7-4. And it's preseason, exhibition, Grapefruit League, whatever you want to call it. But a couple takeaways from the game. Have you been watching a lot? you got the TV in front of you. I do. TV, the way the, the office uh, studio is situated, 
the TV is behind me, so it's like over my shoulder. So you have to you you have to literally turn. Yeah, Josh has like the the clean look at it. Yeah, Bomers had a couple big hits, the home run, which sounded really good, and then the double the opposite way, and then they just threw out a runner at third. Yeah, you so, got uh, a homer yes. for Real Muto, a homer for Bohm, double for Bohm, a Merrifield double. So anytime you see regulars doing some things, but the thing that stands out to me yeah. is a Rojas stolen base. Ooh, got you excited there. Well, I want to see if Rojas is going to get on base. He's got to be able to give this team a little bit of a little kick, a little life, a little juice. Right, he's got to show them that he's more than just a guy who can play defense. And, you know, when you go, because one of the problems with baseball, Mike, you know this, is that if a guy can only do one thing, he doesn't have a lot of value. You well, gotta, I mean, he's. Yeah, but the bat on the ball. Yeah, I mean, he's very good defensively, that we know. But last year he had a 340 on base percentage. But I don't think people realize how many bases Rojas stole last year. In the, in, in the limited time that he was in Philadelphia last year, remember Rojas came over sometime in what, like July, June, July last year? I mean, he didn't play a whole heck of a lot of games. He only played 54 regular season games last year. But in those 54 regular season games, how many bases do you think Rojas stole? I would guess 12. 14. Okay, I was in the neighborhood at least. Yeah, I mean, listen, 14 stolen bases, 54 games. That's a pretty, you know, you double that up over 100 games. He's got uh, almost 30 stolen bases. And I would think, now, his on-base percentage is 342. That's the problem. I don't think he's getting 342 on base. That, that, that's a pretty damn, uh, to put it in perspective, on-base percentage 342 for Johan Rojas. Last year, I would imagine, uh, I'll look at the stats, but I would imagine 342 probably would have led the team if he had enough. At, I don't know that he had enough at bats. Yeah, he didn't have enough at bats. I know that for sure. But the 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 on base percentage leader last year for the Phillies was all right. Bryce Harper was 401, and then the next guy was Kyle Schwarber at 343. Rojas was 342. I mean, he was other than Harper and Schwarber. He had the highest on-base percentage out of everybody on the team. And then the drop-off from Rojas to the next guy, who do you think the next guy was? Stott. Stott was next. Good guess. 329. The drop-off was pretty 329? big. 329? Oh, my goodness. Harper was 401. And Harper, of course, is aided by the fact that he you know walks a lot. Um, Those didn't play almost half the year. He so. played 126 games. So he Is played he, more than half the year. Oh, he played more than half. Okay. 126. 126. So he missed uh, 40. Schwarber played 160. And Schwarber, by the way, he walked 126 times last year. His on-base percentage was 343. Brandon Marsh, by the way, I guess he qualified. He played 130. He actually played more games than Harper did. And his on-base percentage was 372. So okay. Harper 401, Marsh 372. Schwarber 343 and Rojas 342. The next group of guys, Stott 329, Bohm 327, Turner 320, Pache 319. Now, Pache only played in 44 games, but just to put it in some perspective, people wanted Pache possibly to hit for Rojas. Right. They both played about the same amount of games last year. Rojas played 54. Pache played 44. So 10-game difference. 
Pache batted 238, Rojas 302. Pache's on base percentage was 319, Rojas was 342. So they weren't even comparable players last year. Pache was nowhere near Rojas. So then why do you think that there are so many people who think Rojas has to prove himself? Well, I, I think those people are fair. I, I don't think... Do so you think that that part's fair at least? There's no question. I can't... Listen, I like Rojas, and I have no problem with Rojas getting the opportunity here, but I don't go into the season saying he doesn't have to prove something to me. If he's hitting 110, like, listen, I acknowledge in the playoffs he was terrible. Um, actually, he was probably um, unplayable in terms of the, at the plate in the playoffs. The problem is he ha- they had no other options. Like, you can try to explain to me nine times to noon on Sunday – that you should have hit for him. And I would say in a real baseball world, I understand your mindset. Yes, that player probably should have been hit for in that spot. Except for the fact you are leaving out that they had no other option. They had nobody. The regular season numbers were clear as day there that you had nobody else that was deserving of an at-bat in that spot. So... You can't sit here and say you got to. You can sit here and say you could take Rojas out, but then you got to give me a viable replacement, and the Phillies didn't have one. And is that where Whit Merrifield comes in this Absolutely. year? Absolutely, that's because... where Whit Merrifield. If he is now, here's the thing. This is where it gets a little tricky. Okay, let's say Rojas starts and plays center field, mm-hmm. and you're in a playoff game. Yeah, Merrifield's playing left field. That means Marsh is now on the bench. Okay, now the spot comes up in the same situation. Now, I don't remember. Was it a right-handed pitcher or a left-handed pitcher at that point in that game? Do you remember? I have to look it up. If it was, now, now, let's just say, I think it was a right-handed pitcher that he was facing, but I don't 100% remember. But if it's a left-handed pitcher, are you going to hit Marsh in that spot? It's a good question because it's not that Marsh is horrible against lefties, but the analytics and the numbers say you don't put lefties versus lefties. Correct. Exactly. So are you going to hit for a guy in the fourth inning of a game to go lefty on lefty? Eh, probably not. So that's where the tricky part comes in. But you still have a viable – like let's say it's the reverse. You're a playoff game. And Marsh is playing left field and Merrifield's on the bench. And now Pache, not Pache, um, Rojas comes up the bat in the fourth inning and he's struggling away. Right. Now I can hit Merrifield there and put Merrifield in left field and move Marsh over to center field. I have a viable, again, don't tell me Christian Pache should hit in that situation. Right. That is not, I said a viable guy. I just gave you Pache's numbers, okay? Right, you're, Christian you're, Pache's numbers were unplayable. Right, your issue isn't hitting for Rojas. Your issue is of who course you I would are hit hitting for, Rojas. for him. Yeah, of course I would hit for Rojas in that situation. If you had, if I had someone to hit for him, right. I did not. I had no option to hit for him. Christian and, Pache, his numbers that he gave you, okay, 44 at bats, he hit 238 with a 319 on base percentage. His his opportunities, 
he failed in. So I'm not going to put him in a playoff game all of a sudden and say, hey, buddy, why don't you go up there and hit? Same with Jake Cave. Jake Cave hit 212 with a 272 on base percentage. He didn't play at all in the playoffs. I can't ask the guy in the fourth inning of a, of a elimination game, hey, man, why don't you go up there and try to swing? the? It's insanity. It's insanity. By the way, so it was a lefty, a righty who started that inning. You're referring to that fourth inning where the Diamondbacks had the bullpen game, but they brought in San Frank shortly thereafter with Castro. So they did go right left-handed. So in that situation, you could argue would they have brought the lefty in a, a hitter earlier in that situation. So when when uh, Rojas, when Rojas came, came up, the bat, it he was faced Castro. two. He faced a right-hander. Right, but the next hitter faced a lefty. Gotcha. So the if the Phillies would have announced, let's say Marsh. hypothetically, Cave. Right. Then they bring a lefty they into face. They brought lefty in hitter early. So obviously you don't want that because you don't want Cave to hit anyway. Castro went one and two third innings, right? So, so he was beyond the batter number. Correct. So you wouldn't hit Cave in that spot because they're going to put a lefty in, and you don't want lefty lefty, right? And same thing. Now you're going to put Pache up there, a guy who was basically unplayable. I mean, he can't hit. Now I hope, and I like Pache actually. I hope Pache finds a role on this team this year, which I'm kind of struggling to figure out where they're going to play him because the Merrifield situation now kind of pushes Pache to like a fifth outfielder role. But I like Pache. I think he's got potential, but, I mean, he did nothing last year to say I'm going to hit him in the in the, in the the game seven. Well, this also gets back to the conversation you had with Frank Close yesterday for the Phillies mailbag. And, you know, when you have other guys like Cave and Dahl right now in spring training, you know, it, what What if Dahl goes out there and has a great spring training? You know, are you going to, you know, put Pache on the major league roster over him? No, right? Um, That's a good question. And, and by the way, um, yeah, like am I going to hit Pache? Oh, am I going to keep, I should say, Pache, yeah, Pache. over – now, I asked the question yesterday, would they keep Dahl over Cave? Frank thinks that they're going to keep Clements over Cave. I don't know that I agree with that. Is, and I think the reason why he said it was because Clemens can play, play more. He can play base. first. He can play infield. He can play some outfield. Right. By the way, last year, um, you know, you had the situation where Cave, he played some first base, too. Right. So he does have a little bit, like, he's not just an outfielder. Right. But I, I'm interested to see what they do there. Like, Dahl is an outfielder. Would they keep Dahl, a guy they don't really know as much as Cave? Eh, I don't know about that. Listen, I know of every Phillies fan, if they never see Jake Cave again, they'd be fine with it. Yeah, so. I don't need to see Jake Cave ever again. I do like Pache. I just would not have put him in that spot. I, I just wouldn't say, hey, man, you've in the playoffs last year, he had seven at-bats. He had one hit. Um, so I can't say, hey, it's game seven. We're going to throw you in the fourth inning of this game right now with the bases loaded. Go up there, uh, inevitably to do what he did for most of the playoffs, which was strike out almost every single time he was up. I mean, Pache was just overmatched. And that's not to say that Rojas wasn't either. No, but, but the one thing that Rojas Pache wasn't did, a better choice. No, of course he Rojas. wasn't. No, exactly. I had no problem hitting for Rojas if I had a better choice. I did not have a better choice. And here's the other thing. Rojas in the game, if you remember in the series against the, the Marlins, one of the things with Rojas is why I would have stuck with him 
is that Rojas has the ability where if he doesn't hit the ball hard and he just kind of like hits a little dinker in the infield, he has the speed to beat that out. So right. he has more of an opportunity as a struggling player to find a way to get on base. He hit that triple in the game against the Marlins, which was a – and I thought the game against the Marlins when he stole that base was a huge play in that game. He doubled in that series. So he had a couple moments in those games, but his speed – when you have a struggling player, okay – you have a guy who's really struggling, and, and Rojas was really struggling. When you have a guy who's really struggling, the ultimate opportunity to bust out of a slump is to use your speed, all right? Hit a little in-between hop between short and third and just beat it out, that kind of stuff. And he gives you the best opportunity for that. Now, that being said, he was dreadful last year in the playoffs. And again, I'm not questioning people who said, man, you got to hit for Rojas. I'm questioning the people who say you got to hit Pache for Rojas. Right. That's my point. So, it's a I shame Rojas is not a bunt. I well, he apparently worked on it a lot this year, and I was actually somewhat surprised. Rob Thompson said the other day that as a team they worked on bunting a lot more, and he said, "Look, I don't want to bunt. That's not something that I want to really want to do." But they, he did say that it is something that they worked on a lot more. Now, right now, Rojas, um is, you know, the guy that would be hitting in the nine hole, I would imagine. But if you're looking at this team right now as opposed to the Game 7 team, you do have the one move that you didn't have last year. You have the one move that you that you don't have, that you didn't have last year, which was Rojas is our best defensive player. He has a ton of speed. He can offer a whole lot of things. But if he's struggling and he's overmatched, last year we just had nobody to hit for him, and now we do. That's a big difference than last year because let's all be honest with ourselves. You could try to convince yourself that you're right and they should have hit Pache there. Fine. Let's hit Pache there. Now I'll tell you the result. Strike three. Thanks for playing. So if you want to hit for him there, just understand what the result was going to be. <laughs> it was gonna, I mean, he was gonna get him out. He was gonna get out. I mean, right. come on. Uh, I can't, I, I can love the people too. Pache sucks. Why is he in the lineup? And then the moment where he has to come up, why wouldn't you hit Pache there? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, what are we doing here, people? Come on. Give me Pache. Actually, if Cody Clements was on the team, he would have been a guy that I would have said, hey, but the problem is, as you said, Atlanta would have probably gone to a left-handed pitcher in that moment. Right, because the thing is, you know, one of the things that we talked about yeah, multiple any times last year. Any left-handed hitter in that spot would have would have been neutralized by a lefty pitcher. Yeah, well, last year, you talked about numerous times, Mike, about how Atlanta and Arizona had all these lefties in their bullpen, and it was a concern because of all the lefties you have in the lineup. And you said multiple times, what are you going to do in those situations? Well, you found out what you did because you kept you know, Rojas in the lineup because you couldn't go to the lefty there. Yeah, the, the, the bringing in a left-handed hitter, which would have been Cave, who, by the way, ended up ending you, the season. Yeah, you ended the season with that dope at bat. That was one of the. Um, that was the most deflating ending. It was ever. a microcosm of the whole decision. There is that Jake Cave is a guy that some people said you got to hit somebody for Rojas, and here you are. Your last gasp effort is Jake Cave at the plate. What did he end up? Did he strike out or did he end up popping up? I think he ground. Let me double check. But 
It was when I saw well, you Cave. You have to double check. You didn't check once yet, so it wouldn't be double checking. It would be let me check. Let me check. Yeah, not double check because you didn't look early. It's not like you looked earlier today Good and point. then forgot. Good point, yeah. <laughs> it's just let me check on that. I one. just I have the indelible image in my mind, though, of looking at Cave come off the bat, and I was just like, "Oh, it was, this season's over. Yeah, it, it, that moment comes up, and here's Cave as the last batter. It's like, this is who we're sending up there, and yet that was the guy – that some people would have said, you got a hit for no Oscars. Come on, dude. Oh, man. That's a fan for you, though. It's the it's the theory of everybody wants to fire the guy, but they don't tell you who they want hired. Everybody wanted, wants to I wanted to hit for Rojas. I just didn't want to hit Pache. That's all. <laughs> and this is coming from so I actually like Pache. I think, I mean, I like, look, I think it was Pache a fly has, ball out for Cave, by the way. I popped All right, fly ball. I actually think Pache has some potential, but not enough to hit him in that, in that spot. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, all right, five years ago today, this happened. We have the details coming up next on the Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. Down to the Forster, steps in, goes backhand, took the shot, and he scores! Oh, one that got through Vasilevsky. Forster last night with a nifty goal for the Flyers. That gave him a 2-1 lead. They go on to win 6-2 last night. What does it all mean? I'll get to that in just a second. But did you know, five years ago today, Bryce Harper signed with the Phillies? Celebrate. Cheers. Five years ago today, Bryce Harper signed with the Phillies. 13-year deal. And the, uh, I don't know, I think he's exceeded any expectations other than the fact that, you know, you were hoping for a a World Series. I don't know that anybody thought they were going to get a World Series just automatically, but he's gotten them to one. He's gotten them close. He has been probably more than anybody ever envisioned. But uh, five years ago today, Bryce Harper signs with the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, all right. You heard the goal there. Uh, Tim Saunders last night. That game was on Rock 104-1. So what does that game, that, that win mean for the Flyers? So they're at 60 games. They got 22 games left. They are five points ahead of the Devils. Now the Devils, um, at 64 points, but of one game less than the Flyers. Okay. So you got a five point lead. With 22 games left. But in the wild card, you are right now tied with Tampa Bay. And that's why this was a big game last night. Because now you were two points behind Tampa and they have a game on you. They've played 61, you've played 60. So now you put yourself in pace with Tampa Bay so that if you do fall out of the Metro, you at least have 
that wild card opportunity now. Now, not that you couldn't catch Tampa, but if they would have won the game last night, that all of a sudden puts them at 71 points and you're at 67. That's why these swing games in the NHL, as we know, when you get two points on one side and the other team, that's a four-point swing all of a sudden. So the Flyers put themselves now in a much better playoff spot to get two roads. Because if they win last night, I mean, if they lose last night, yes, they're still in the lead in the Metropolitan Division, but they're only three points up on the Devils. Instead, they're five points up on the Devils, and they now have another road where they would be the wild card team right now as well. So that was a big win last night, and you do it against a team that is in the wild card spot, so you've now, bang, you, 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 uh, tie them at 69 points, and they have a game on you. So you have a situation now where that game last night with 22 games left to play, man, mathematically speaking here, 22 games left to play, can the Flyers be about a 500 team the rest of the way here? All right, that's what you're kind of saying. You're asking the question, is 500 good enough? Well, they got rid of Cal Peterson. That's a couple less losses on your resume, right? Well, I don't know how much he was going to play, but now he's not going to play at all. Yeah. <laughs> Officially, he is not going to play. <laughs> yeah, Cal Peterson. So uh, just think about that, Flyers fans, how big that game was for you last night. Uh, those two points now tie you with Tampa Bay for the wild card, and it advances you five points over the Devils in the Metropolitan Division. <laughs> Uh, that sounded right there. I need caller 7, 609-573-3776, 609-573-3776. Caller number 7, you are entered for a chance to win a road trip to see the Phillies play the Orioles at Camden Yards this summer. Thanks to Philly Sports Trips, you'll get round-trip transportation, lower bowl tickets to the game at Camden Yards, and a pregame tailgate party that will go unmatched. So much more, all thanks to Philly Sports Trips. Caller 7, 609-573-3776. You must be present to win at our Phillies opening day watch party at Maynard's and Margate. We'll be there for the Phillies and Braves on opening day. And we'll be giving away one lucky winner and a friend. We'll be going to see the Orioles and Phillies thanks to Philly Sports Trips and Maynard's in Margate. Good luck. Jersey 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Andrew DeCecco, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. We're never satisfied. That hunger for more. That hunger for more. I have it. Everyone has it. Now live, this is Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. And of course... It is brought to you by Bet365. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. Andrew DeCecco is in his happy place, the NFL Combine of Indianapolis. We're a lot going on. The NFL draft is uh, closing in on us. Free agency will be here. We've got a lot to discuss as we take a look at some of the potential draft candidates for the Eagles, who, by the way, have picked number 22, but they also have a plethora of other picks here uh, as we, you know, get you ready for the draft in just a little bit. The Eagles will draft uh, 22, 50, 53, 97, and then they will draft in the fifth round three times and one in the sixth. So they do have four picks in the top 100 
of this draft. Andrew DeCecco is here. We'll talk a little bit about his uh, first impressions. Uh, four picks in the top 100, Andrew DeCecco. Uh, do you like this draft and having that much? And obviously, you like to have that many picks. But do you like this draft class uh, in the top 100? Yeah, hey, Mike, good to be with you. And to answer your question, yeah, I do really like the, the – it depends on what position, but they are – it's incredibly deep along the offensive line, corner. There's some really good receivers. If they choose to get one, I guess day two would be. But, yeah, I mean, you have to like where the Eagles are sitting. And, with you know, a team with so many needs, I think they're going to be in position to address most of them. Yeah, you take a look at uh, some of the needs they have, and we know they have a lot of them there. At number 22 for you, Andrew, uh, what are some of the, you know, obviously corner, um, man, I don't know, I guess offensive line, edge rusher always seem to be in play there. Uh, is that where you would kind of be focusing on uh, in this draft, knowing what they need? Yeah, so at 22 right now, and it's still really early, so I like to kind of reinforce that to a lot of listeners, but Kool-Aid McKinstry is a player who I think could be available. Quinion Mitchell had a really good senior bowl, and I think he's going to test really well this week. So by my estimation, he's going to soar up draft boards and maybe with uh, out of reach for that 22. But as I look at it right now, Tyler Guyton, the offensive tackle, from, uh, offensive tackle from Oklahoma, would be a player to keep an eye on, just knowing that Lane Johnson is going to be 34 years old. The Eagles traditionally are a team that looks ahead and tries to address the position. They like fortifying the trenches so that might be an area to look at Darius Robinson the edge rusher from Missouri has inside and outside versatility he's really strong powerful can anchor he's someone to keep an eye on as well and that would be with at the senior bowl not yet at the combine it's still early so those are two guys I like there uh, or in Coy McKinstry as well uh, yeah, and obviously, uh, there's so many things that happened before then and now. You're out there for Inside the Birds and obviously, uh, looking at some of these draft prospects. But what are some of the things, Andrew, you are focusing on this week, uh, while you're in India, in Indianapolis? Well, I mean, I'm going to be out here for just, just another day or so, and I'm not going to be here for the testing part of it. But for me, I like to talk to different types, different prospects and get a sense for, where they're at, what are some of the challenges they've encountered, how did they go about working through those issues, what do they learn about themselves, and really getting to know them and see what makes them tick. And also, this is a week where, first and foremost, gathering information is paramount in the in the work, in the business that I'm in. Um, I'm also out here with Adam and Jeff, so all three of us are out here. ITB is well represented, and for me, it's all about gathering as much information as possible in the time that I have. Yeah, and uh, obviously uh, there's a lot of spots out there. As we'll obviously get a little closer to that draft, but I uh, feeling like the whole draft season starting to get here. This is kind of the kickoff of it all with the combine, and you take a look at uh, where this team. Yeah, we heard yesterday from Howie Roseman. I want to kind of take a look at a couple things he said. He mentioned James Bradbury was a part of the team, a part of the future of this team. Maybe not long term future, but everybody just assumes that James Bradbury is not going to be here. But what I want to get from you is, all right. Do we think that Bradbury didn't perform to his standards because of the scheme, the way he was used, or more likely because he has lost a step? Yeah, I'm not going to speculate on whether it was the scheme and, and try and guess or anything like that, or even you know guess if there was an injury that he was dealing with. This, to me, looks like a player who... He had speed concerns, and last season there were opportunities. Uh, the Super Bowl season, there was opportunities for teams to stretch him vertically. This never got a chance to because the pass rush was always getting home. 
So I think this was more so it was a combination of, of him diminishing skills and not being able to, have, to, to cover in short area and losing at the line of scrimmage, which was very apparent on several occasions this season. And teams just looking to take advantage of what was on film the year before that they weren't able to capitalize on. So it's just a player who is sort of drastically fell off a cliff and they weren't really able to mask that. They also didn't have anybody better really to put in his spot. Now, that's not to say that Bradbury is going to be a slot corner. In fact, they said that they view him as an outside corner. So a lot of fans get concerned. Is that Does that mean that he's going to be starting after everything we just saw? Well, no, that's not the case. He could be a part-time player, situational guy. I'd mentioned on your show before that, he could be a specialty type player where you have him cover tight ends and, and maybe bring him in in the red zone where his longer, big-bodied uh, frame can really affect that area of the field. So there, there's ways that you can use him. And as of right now, he's under contract, as Howie Roseman alluded to. So he's in their plans. If they are looking for upgrades at the cornerback position, um, you know, and maybe they go in free agency and say, hey, we do need to replace James Bradbury and turn him into more of a part-time player, uh, is this a – free agent class that you like? No, I mean, not particularly. I mean, on the high end, I was that Jerry needs a player who is going to be highly coveted, but he his body type and his skill set isn't necessarily going to blend or gel with every single scheme. So he's, I mean, Jalen Johnson's another player, but just listening to Matt Eberflew speak yesterday, I got the sense that they're going to do everything that they can to keep him in-house. Those are the two guys at the top there, but I don't know that free agency would be the route to go for the Eagles. They've too often been reliant on getting outside help to fix that position. They need to start drafting properly and really start developing the talent that they have. And I think that starts with the draft. They're in, they're in premium spots to really upgrade that, and they need to start developing and, and honing those those prospects. And they have a couple right now, but you need to get some blue-chip guys and and really start to, to get this thing moving in the right direction because they don't have a ton of building blocks, and they have a lot of work to do on that back seven. Well, and Andrew, that's something that Roseman did admit yesterday. Like, I need to do a better job of finding us talent, and I think he was specifically talking about that cornerback position, and it sounded like he acknowledged it. They have failed in finding guys in that spot. So um, I, I don't know if it's a, the, a fair question, but do you trust Roseman uh, at 22 to select a corner? Yeah, if if that's the best player on their board, then it would be it would go against the grain a little bit because the Eagles aren't that's not something that they do. But knowing right. how glaring of a weakness it is, and there could be now if Quinn Mitchell's not there, there there will be a little bit of a there's a little bit of a drop off there. McKinstry is somebody that I think, or or even Ennis Rakestraw Jr., the corner from Missouri, could slot right in there. And just knowing how drastic of a need it is, I think that he would have to do that. And it wouldn't really surprise me, just given what you saw on tape last season and the teams were, you know, blatantly attacking either corner spot. So that, that's something that needs to get addressed. Uh, Andrew DeCecco, football at four. He's at the uh, combine. What is your, like, I, you see a lot of these mock drafts, obviously. So it's always, I love mock drafts. I'm a big fan of like just getting some names that are in the mix there. Who's going to be in kind of your area. I've heard a lot of listeners, people texting in, tweeting. Uh, do they call it tweeting anymore? Xing? I don't know what you call it, but uh, <laughs> Cooper DeJean from uh, Iowa. What kind of fit, you know, he seems to be a popular player in this draft. Yeah, I, I like Cooper quite a bit. Now, the, the question becomes fit, and I don't know that he's a player that's going to fit in every scheme. 
and he kind of falls in an odd spot there in the first round. So this is going to be a really big week for him, both from the interview perspective and the testing perspective primarily, to see because he could end up not even being in the discussion at that point when they go around the clock at 22, and you all of a sudden have to look at, do we have to potentially trade up for this guy? But um, I do think that, that Cooper DeJean has a um, a pretty enticing skill set. Now, it just depends on Vic Vangio. Vic Vangio is going to have a lot of say in the personnel that he brings in, and he may have a certain type of corner that really fits the bill for what he's looking to accomplish. So that that's going to be really interesting to see and very telling based on some of the free agents that they start to bring in, it'll be able to see if that's going to match with some of the prospects that could be available when they're on the clock. Andrew, yesterday, Nick Sirianni talked about, and one thing I thought was interesting, he said that uh, when I hired Kellen Moore, uh, I think a lot of people just assumed that that was a uh, maybe a Roseman hire and that Nick uh, doesn't get a lot of say, but he went out of his way to say, when I hired Kellen, it's because I felt he was the best guy for the job. But when he says wanting to blend the coaching philosophies. What do you think the offense needs more of that Kellen Moore can provide? Motion, uh, number one, and just some creativity, getting different guys involved and having more of a balance offensively. I, th- I thought the Eagles were too infatuated with taking the deep shot and as, a, as opposed to taking what's in front of you. And they regressed in many areas, and I think that sometimes they – well, they, they went into this season knowing that, hey, we're the Eagles, we're in the Super Bowl, we went toe-to-toe with Kansas City Chiefs. There's not a whole lot of alterations we need to make offensively. Well, the league caught up to them, and I think you need a creative outside mind that can come in there and bring in fresh ideas, which is a term that they threw around very liberally in the end of the season press conferences. But he's going to bring in a lot more of, of creativity and get different guys involved, motion, um the third receiver is going to be a, a primary focus where last season you saw a rotating cast of characters from Julio Jones, Alameda Zacchaeus, Quez Watkins. Now, now I think you're going to see more of an emphasis placed on that and the uh, level of importance. So you're going to see some new wrinkles for sure. Um, yesterday they also both Sirianni and Roseman Andrew were asked about the future of Hassan Reddick. And I think both of them were pretty noncommittal, but you know, you're out there. Did you get the sense that, uh, it felt like if we get a good offer, we'll take it or that they really want Reddick back? Well, I mean, you, you can read between the lines and you can see they were very emphatic on how grateful he, they were for his contributions, how impactful he is to the defense, but they also sort of, uh, there was a caveat there and they said, but we also have to keep in mind the future and how we're going to navigate that as well. So it seems like they're bracing for the potential of not having Hassan Reddick. And I think that when you look at his age and, and all the different things that come with it, Hassan Reddick is not someone that's going to take, he's not going to bend this time. I don't know that his deal was, his deal was very team friendly to begin with. And, you don't want a player who's not happy in that locker room. You're really trying to restore order there and, and uh, with, a, with, a, with a fresh-faced coaching staff. So you want to make sure that you address it and do right by the player. I just don't know if the Eagles are going to be willing to meet him, yeah. uh, meet his demands. So to me, it seems like he may be elsewhere. But, again, if the, if the Eagles have all the leverage there. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I don't, I, I, but I still think there's going to be a team knowing how how much of a premium is placed on pass rushers that a team that might be close or maybe even a team like the Texans or the Chiefs or something like that, they may be willing to roll the dice. 
Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there, Andrew Decheco from uh, InsideTheBirds.com, the Inside the Birds podcast. The guys are out uh, at the uh, NFL Combine in Indianapolis. Uh, I guess one area at the Combine to keep an eye on would be running back. I would almost bet the house that they're going to have to draft a running back. You only have Kenny Gainwell, a guy that Sirianni did mention yesterday, but Swift a free agent, Boston Scott a free agent. Really, the only guy who has any NFL experience is Gainwell. So uh, the running back landscape could really change a lot, and I guess the draft would probably be the spot. Although, Andrew, there are some interesting running backs in the free agent market. So how do you read running back this offseason? Because the way I think Swift, I mean, is he going to get a lot of action? Is he going to get the money he wants? What's the ceiling of money the Eagles would pay to get a veteran running back? I think there's a lot there at running back. Or is it just better to say, you know what, we'll draft a guy? Well, I don't foresee DeAndre Swift getting the amount of money that, let's say, Miles Sanders got. But I also don't think that he's going to get anything that, that the Eagles can be willing to pony up for, knowing that they, that's not a position that they traditionally place a high emphasis on. So, well, with all that being said, I don't envision DeAndre Swift back. If you listen to Nick Sirianni yesterday, you'd be hard pressed to find any sort of silver lining if you're, if you are someone who believes that DeAndre Swift would be a good fit on the Eagles. Uh, I, I don't know that he's in their immediate plans. Now, all that being said, I, I think that Looking at the free agent landscape right now, there are a number of running backs who are cost-effective options to be a a sort of a hammer power element, which they thought they were getting in Rashad Penny. Maybe look at a Zach Moss, a J.K. Dobbins, a Ty Johnson, perhaps, who sort of bounced around a little bit, former late-round pick of the, I want to say, Detroit Lions. So, I mean, there, there's some options out there, and I think the way to go is to the draft. There's a guy I really like in Jalen Wright from Tennessee, really explosive, dynamic player who's going to test really well this week and be a name that more folks are talking about and accustomed to. So those are uh, that's kind of how I envision them approaching it, drafting a guy, signing a low-cost free agent, and then filling out the rest of the depth chart with Boston Scott perhaps, and, and Kenny Gainwell is still going to be there. All right. Uh, another area I know uh, that you'll probably be taking a watch at is uh, possible third-wide receiver choices in this draft. You know, do you have that slot guy? Is there someone that can step in and give them uh, some production there, or is uh, free agency a better route to go in this year's draft? Well, a little bit of both, right? I think that you can draft a day three guy and, and sort of develop him. But when you're a team like the Eagles, you don't want to roll and, and has a window open to that you need to maximize in terms of Super Bowl. Um, you know, you need to bring in a veteran who can step in and play instead of having someone that's sort of learning on the job and finding their way. And they also may not pan out. So it, Noah Brown would make a lot of sense with his previous experience with Kellen Moore. Cedric Wilson would make some sense there as well. James Prochet, a wide receiver from the Ravens, who folks may not be too familiar with. He's someone that I think could be a nice option. He sort of kind of reminds me of, uh, remember when I had Zach Pascal a couple years ago? He's just more of a physical guy that's willing to do the dirty work, Can is more than capable as a receiver, can return kicks and also play special teams. And then through the draft, you might look at someone like a Luke McCaffrey or a Jamari Thrash or, or, or someone like that, probably on day three and then have them compete and see what you're able to get. Andrew DeCecco, of course, uh, the Inside the Birds guys are out there at the uh, Combine. What's the weather like in Indianapolis? 
Well, a drastic drop in temperature. It dropped about 30 degrees yesterday. Motion and I were walking around the downtown Indy at night, and it was like 65 degrees. And today it's like a wind tunnel that we're walking <laughs> through. And 32 degrees where it's blowing us all over the place on the streets. Everybody's, you know, <laughs> everybody's running for cover here. So um, it's, it's pretty frigid. And um, I think tomorrow's going to be just as cold. So I think I will be... Instead of walking to my destination spot this evening, I think I will be taking a new one. I've never been to Indianapolis, but I always hear about how perfect that city is for, for this event. Oh, it's fantastic, Mike. I, I really encourage you to get out when, if you ever get a chance. It's just, uh, it's such a close, everything's in such close proximity. There's a, a lot of bars all over and restaurants and, uh, it's just very, it's a very user-friendly area to have an event of this magnitude. I'll have to uh, check it out out there sometime. All right, Andrew DeCecco and the guys, of course, Football at Four, the Inside the Birds podcast. If you want more on the Combine, make sure you check out InsideTheBirds.com. Andrew, appreciate it, buddy. Appreciate you. Take care. And of course, the NFL draft is uh, not quite in the uh, in the front w- window. We got it in the rear view, but we're keeping an eye on that. We'll do the Mel Kuyper mock draft tonight here on the Sports Bash Live. He put out his mock draft version 2.0, so we'll have a little fun with that tonight in the five o'clock hour. Hey, a little fun for Julian in Avalon. Hey, Julian in Avalon is a qualifier for that. Phillies road trip to Baltimore thanks to Philly sports trips we've got uh, Phillies opening day one month from today exactly one month from today the Phillies opening day against the Braves by the way Phillies and Braves playing today down in Clearwater for the Grapefruit League and obviously uh, a month from now Phillies tied again today yesterday 3-3 today they blew the lead again they were up and they end up tying that game 7-7 against the Brave. Who was the pitcher who came in? Some guy named Bryce. And I imagine he's not making the team either. We did see, we did see uh, Jose Alvarado, Jeff Hoffman, Matt Strom, Sir Anthony Dominguez, and Gregory Soto. Those five guys all appeared in the game today. So Phillies did go with some of their regular pitchers in the game today. They had a lot of their regular hitters too. Schwarber, Real Muto, Harper, Castellanos, Bohm, Merrifield, Rojas. Those guys all probably projected uh, regulars were all in the lineup today for the Phils, who lost, uh, excuse me, who tied today 7-7. But Julian and Avalon, congratulations to you, Julian. You are now entered for a chance to win a trip down to Baltimore to see the Orioles and the Phillies play at Camden Yard. Sports Bass Live. 97.3 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Hey, Mike Gill here. Want to tell you about my friend Rocco and the people over at Key Acura of Atlantic City. Now, through the end of the week, right now, till tomorrow. So, listen to me now and get over there if you still want this deal. Now through tomorrow, Rocco at Key Acura can get you a 2024 Acura Integra lease for just $369 a month or a 2024 MDX lease for $489 a month beginning on March the 2nd. That's this weekend. Their service department will be open again on Saturday. So you got the great prices. You got the convenience of the service department. And you got great people. So see my guy Rocco at Key Acura of Atlantic City, Tilton Road in EHT. It's the small but friendly dealer right up the road from us here on Tilton Road in EHT online at Key Acura of Atlantic City 
Com. I wouldn't steer you wrong. I'd love to see some of my listeners driving around in one of these fantastic new 2024 Acuras. So check them out over there. All right. When we come back, it's five from Danny Rye. We'll see what five topics are on his mind today. And that's coming up next. We have the perfect for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. We're sitting in traffic. You come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, 4.30, it's time for five from Danny Rye. We'll get to Danny in just a second. Before we get there, I want to tell you about my friends at Progressive Fence and Railing. They're your secret weapon for a durable fence, a railing, a stylish deck, beautiful awning. You heard the weather report there. And it's supposed to get a little chilly. So if you're thinking about the summer or the spring, they've got the magic touch experience, top-notch quality, impeccable craftsmanship, and finance options that fit your budget. Grab your free estimate today with my friends at ProgressiveFenceAndRail.com. Mike Gill in the Sports Bash. Five from Danny Rye. What is on the mind of Danny Rye today? Let's check you. What do you got? Uh, the headset situation you got on your head over there. You got one ear. Yeah, it's it's been rough for a while now. So one ear like, on, right one ear off. The other one looks busted. Yeah, it is. So I, I think the thing that holds the headphone in place kind of broke. I was literally just observing it before I hopped on here, and uh, yeah, it's not a great situation. I should just pull the trigger and get a new twenty dollars headset on Amazon, but. Whatever, I'll deal with this for now. Yeah, you How look you doing fine. Today, Mike? I'm doing all right, man. Uh, the weather looks like it's about to take a little change here. It's a little gray and dark outside. That's what we get for talking about it yesterday. I mean, we jinxed it completely, but it's whatever. I mean, at least it's still not freezing out along with the rain. Uh, but, yeah, I'm excited for today's five with Danny Rye. As you know, we talked about yesterday that the spring training games weren't broadcasted, but today's was, and I had uh, quite some joy watching at least the beginning of that game when JT Romuto and Alec Bohm started them off with a bang. So that's exactly where I want to start. Uh, watching today's spring training game, obviously, you were looking forward to the starters that would be subbed out very quickly into the game. But JT Romuto and Alec Bohm in their first swings of spring training, well, they they went yard. JT Romuto deep into left field on a ball off the plate, which I was impressed with, and he absolutely crushed it out of the stadium. Uh, so I really want to talk about and dive into Real Muto. As some of the listeners may or may not know, Real Muto sought help at a biomechanics lab equipped with high-speed cameras to address inefficiencies in his swing that led to a career high in strikeouts and an overall dip in performance last season. Now, what you saw from his swing today was very encouraging, no doubt about it. So I'm going to ask you, Mike, after what you saw today, do you think Real Muto could be poised for a bounce-back season? And if so, how big could that be for the Phillies come playoff time? All right, well, if you watch the first at-bat, too, it was a really good at-bat. He takes two strikes right. looking, and then ball, he fouls one off, takes another ball on a tough curve ball, then he fouls another one off, then he takes a slider for a ball. So he showed some good eye up there, and then he hits a slider for a, you know, he, he mashes the thing. So it was a good first at-bat there, but, you know, these are the things that worry me. I know everybody wanted best catcher in baseball, you got to pay JT. 
it's not that I was against JT, but I just felt that the contract that he was going to get was going to be a little bit of a of a situation where he was going to fall mm-hmm. into this. Hey, he's making so much money, and then his production falls off, and you know, I, I'm mm-hmm. concerned that Real Muto has hit that portion of his career. I'm not going to lie and sit here and say, yeah, I think JT's going to have a bounce back year. No, he's a 32-year-old catcher. Those guys generally don't have big bounce back years. And if you hit 252 with 20 homers last year, I don't know, are you going to dip to 240 something with 15 homers? Eh, that's not what you're paying for. So I hope that the biochemic lab that you just discussed there, which I did not hear yeah. about. Biomechanic, I, yes. All right. Well, I hope that can get him. Hey, even if he only hits 20 homers, but he hits for a little higher average and, and, and has some other numbers around that are better. I, I'm not expecting 25, 30 home runs out of JT. 20 homers, but can he get to 280? Can mm-hmm. he get that batting average up and drive some more in? That's my hope. But I'd have to say, if you're asking me, do I expect it? Not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to really kind of decipher right now because I, I was shocked. I looked at his stats today, and he's really never been a huge average guy. Kind of always floated around the high 260 or mid 270 point, aside from the one exception when he hit 300, over 300 in Miami. I think, I mean, like you said, I'm not going to expect 25, 30 home runs from the guy. He's going to turn 33 next week on next Sunday. So his offensive productivity is going to dip a little bit. I mean, obviously from behind the plate, he wasn't the best at framing the baseball uh, you know, and compared to past years, I just want more contact out of the guy this year. Honestly, I hope the biomechanic lab <laughs> and all that work he did in the offseason to try and improve those inefficiencies in the swing. All I need from him is just more contact and, you know, maybe more extra base hit power would be nice. But let's be honest. I mean, the guy, he's jacked, but he's kind of got an odd swing where it's, you know, he's very relaxed up there. It's not like Harper where it's real huge, aggressive swing. So if I can get, like you said, even a 275, somewhere between 275, 280, I think that would be an absolute win. But I think the main thing, and he would probably agree with this after going to the lab, is just to limit the strikeouts. I mean, a career high in strikeouts last season, and it was evident in the playoffs. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, and everybody. I mean, with him, it was everybody. And by the way, this is uh, next year is the last year of the deal. He's getting paid $23.8 million this year, this year and next year. So, yeah, you, you can't have a guy who slips at this. Now, he's 32 years old. This doesn't mean he's at the end of the road. I remember, you know, a guy like Carlos Ruiz, I think, was a little bit, uh, had a little bit of a, a year in his 30s, you know, I, I, you just can't have the guy hit 230 with like 12 homers and just completely be, um, a bottom of the order part of the lineup. This is a guy that they still have for $23 million. They're hoping for a lot. Yeah, no doubt about it. I, I just real quick follow up question branching off what you mentioned with this contract. When it's expired, well, you let him walk, right? That's what you have to do almost. That's a good question. Uh, he'll be 33 years old, I guess. Uh, I mean, if he's willing, like, well, it depends what kind of you year. Said he has two years left? This year and next. Okay, so he'll be 34. He'll 33 be, next week. Yeah, 34. Okay, so yeah. he turns 33 next week. So he'll play this year at 33. He'll play next year at 34. That's a tough guy to bring back. I mean, and listen. If he has two back-to-back big years, it's going to put him in a tough spot, no question about it. Yeah, I mean, you don't, if you look at their prospect rankings, too, no catching prospects really just stand out to you. It would have been Logan O'Hoppy, but you almost had to make that move because he was going to rot behind JT until his contract expired. So definitely interesting to see what they do with him and 
really how he produced this year. Like I said, just want some more contact, and I'll be happy. Uh, but number two, moving on to the Eagles, one of the top-ranked linebackers in this year's draft class, Clemson product Jeremiah Trotter Jr., obviously the son of former Eagle Jeremiah Trotter. He met with the media today ahead of the NFL Combine, stating that he has already met with the Eagles and I found that to be just music to my ears. I know there was a report yesterday saying he was soon going to meet with them, but it's already happened. Uh, Trotter Jr. then went on to say this about his father's time in Philadelphia and what it would mean to him to play in Midnight Green. He's told me stories about, you know, when he played for Eagles, you know, uh, I, I've been told different things and, like, the great time he had with that organization. You know, the Eagles, you know, they're a great uh, team, great club, and, you know, it would be a blessing to be able to, you know, play for them as well. Um, you know, I'm just, you know, really just, you know, waiting for the opportunity to go wherever I go. I'll be, be happy wherever I land. He'll be happy wherever he lands, but it would be a blessing to play in Midnight Green. And, you know, just taking a look at the Eagles draft picks this year, all nine, they have two second-round picks in the NFL draft upcoming in March. And, uh, well, numbers 50 and 53, I'm wondering, Mike, do you think – and Trotter was previously considered a first-round talent. That's kind of dipping now, especially because, obviously, his position as a linebacker, and obviously, too, Howie Roseman doesn't prioritize linebackers in the first round, but – 50 and 53 in the second round. Number one, I'm wondering if you think Trotter Jr. would fall to at least pick 50. And two, if you think he would be a good fit in Vic Fangio's defensive scheme. All right. So there's two parts to this. One, it, would he, would he fall to that spot? And linebacker is such a tough, um, you know, position because I'm trying to find, figure out when is the time, like the running backs, when do teams start to say, yes, we're going to start, you know, going down the direction of, of taking running backs here? Uh, linebackers aren't to get to the same spot here. At what point? Um, cause he's probably a late first round type of talent, but you wonder right. if teams are going to say, Hey, we're not drafting, um, a linebacker at that spot. So 22, I think would be out of the question there. Now you go to 50 and 53. Um, and, and, and the question about would he be a good fit? Um, for Fangio system. See, Nicobe Dean is going to be back. I don't know. Is Trotter a guy that, I mean, he's a smaller guy. I mean, six foot, 230. So he's kind of one of those smaller linebackers. Obviously, he's not one of these big run stuffing guys. Is he a guy that, uh, he's a guy that has a nose for the ball? You know, he can operate in, in, in like some space. Can he cover? I, I would think this is probably a, player that the Eagles, uh, now the ties with his father, although he did throw organization in there. Does dad play for the Flyers uh, when he was uh, in town here? But no, I think obviously the bloodlines <laughs> and everything makes it interesting. Can't see the Flyers, uh, the Flyers, the Eagles going down that road though. He's kind of a smaller guy. He kind of is in more of the Nicobe Dean role than he would be in terms of playing with Dean. I think if it, if it was somebody different and he was there, I think Dean and him probably don't fit well together he would be the guy that would be in the Dean spot and then they would need the other guy to play next to him. Yeah, I mean, I would love him here, obviously, but that's kind of why I asked that second question about Vic Fangio's scheme. If it was a different type of scheme and it wasn't Ben, don't break, yeah. he would succeed a lot more here, but he's a high-end success blitzer. Uh, you know, he has high-end potential, I should say, for success as a blitzer, and he showed it in college, and that's not what we do here in Philadelphia. Yeah, so, it, it, well, that's the thing. He's not as good against the run. I mean, he's not a bigger guy. He's not the Zach Cunningham guy who plays the off-ball role as much so that's where i think the mix with him and dean is not probably doesn't isn't comparable 
Yeah, and also, too, if you drafted him, you're essentially, you know, especially in the second round, you're essentially saying we're starting Trotter next to N'Kobe Dean, and then you have two young guys there who are unproven, and that could be a recipe for disaster, as we know, in the city of Philadelphia with their fans. But interesting. You know, I, I, I saw bet that. you if he was a little bigger, you know, he would be an option. Yeah, I, I believe so as well, obviously, with the connections to his dad. But I saw that media availability clip, and I, I thought, you know, why not bring it up? Yeah, because I saw he's been Andrew, the Eagles for a while. our own Andrew DiCecco, who was just on for football at four, uh, was the one who tweeted that out earlier, that uh, Trotter said he met with the Eagles and that he right. had uh, talked to one there. So, yeah, obviously with the, the bloodlines and the, and the lineage there, everybody's going to be excited, but I don't think it's a great fit. Great story, probably not a great fit. All right, since you talked about the Flyers indirectly, you didn't mean to, let's go to number three and bring up those scrappy Philadelphia Flyers. The orange and black picked up a much-needed win last night, dominating the Lightning. However, not through the entire game, really just the third period. En route to a 6-2 to two victory, they outscored the Lightning 5-1 to one in that third period and just really caught fire. Uh, but I want to ask you, Mike, obviously we've talked about it in the past, but nearly it was not nearly as close to the NHL trade deadline. So right now we're just over a week away, a week and two days. Friday it will be one week. So what do you expect the Flyers to do as they currently hold a five-point lead over the Devils for the third place in the Metro division? Uh, what do you expect them to do at the deadline? Well, I'm going to divert a lot to uh, Durso in the conversations we've had with him here, and he knows a lot about more about this than, than I do. He's at every single home game and has talked to a lot of people in the organization. He doesn't think they're going to add, like make a trade where they're going to add somebody. In fact, right now, there's an article up at 973ESPN.com. ESPN.com has three flyers on their list of the top 50 potential trade candidates. Nick Sealer, Sean Walker, and uh, Scott Lawton. So they also think the Flyers are going to look to move players as opposed to add players to the team. And they've kind of kept that message. We're not going to make a trade where we send out players to get players to come here if it's going to hurt our future. So I think the Flyers are kind of going to go with what they have and hope that that's good enough to get them to the playoffs, which was something that I don't think the most optimistic Flyer fan thought was a real possibility, that this team would be a legitimate playoff team. And right now, they are five points up on New Jersey, and they have now tied Tampa Bay for that second wild card spot with 22 games left to play. I did my Flyers homework for you today, Danny Ryan. Oh, I love that. You just knew I was going to hit you with this question third here on five with Danny Rye. I agree with you. I mean, that's really kind of been the consensus around the Philadelphia Flyers that if there's, you know, a low end um, or I should say low risk, high reward kind of trade they could make that wouldn't cost much, they might pull the trigger. But I mean, they got a lot of guys with no trade clauses as well due to the previous GM before Danny Breer took over. So it's going to be tough to trade the guys you would probably want to trade. I mean, one that comes to mind, obviously, Travis Sanheim. So I'm interested to see what they do, but they're not going to go out and pick up like a solidified star goal scorer. I, I'll tell you what, though. I will be sitting on my couch glued to the TV wow. if they do make the playoffs. Yeah, oh, I will. Well, play. I, you know, I thought you I'm, meant. I'm thinking I, about going to the game Saturday. I, oh, wow. I thought you meant you were saying I'm glued to the play the, the game on Friday night. They play the Capitals because the Caps are kind of pushing them now from the backside here, but they also play the Ottawa Senators on Saturday. Well, so Drew back comes to back. back to town on Saturday. I'm looking at tickets right now. Not too pricey compared to other sporting events, but uh, yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I would get love yourself to see them in the, the building. Playoffs. You can get yourself in the building for that. Come on man 
Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, I'm thinking about a little double date action with my one buddy and his girlfriend. We've never formally met uh, you know, in passing at my old apartment every now and again, but we've never actually, you know, got to know her. So I'm thinking about making that a double date. There you right? go. So there, that's a good we'll idea. see about good that. Good idea. All right. Number four, the NFL Players Association released their yearly report cards today in which the Eagles ranked fourth out of all 32 NFL teams. Notably, the head coach portion of the Eagles report uh, pardon me, the head coach portion of the Eagles report card received an A, which was sixth out of all 32 head coaches. So I think you know where I'm going with this, Mike Gill. Does Nick Sirianni's grade voted on by his players give you more confidence that the Eagles can steer this ship in the right direction as soon as next season, led by Nick Sirianni? I, I'm not somebody who thinks that Sirianni's a disaster and that they needed to fire him. I think that, you know, everybody deserves the opportunity to try to bounce back. We can't always assume that you're going to have your A-plus season or your A-plus game. And I think Sirianni has done enough to say, hey, I deserve to be brought back. I got us to a Super Bowl. I've been to the playoffs three times. So this is a big year for him, though. Do you trend downwards after all that or do you keep this team back in contention for a Super Bowl I'm in the if you ask me right now February 28th Danny Rye five from Danny Rye would the Flyers excuse me the Eagles be a contender next year I think their offseason will be yes well I would say yes I think they will be more likely to be a contender than a non-contender because I I'm a Roseman guy. I like Roseman. I think he's going to do a good job. I think he's going to get some more pieces. I think they're going to be a much better coach team. And that thing right there tells you. I, look, I didn't need that thing to tell me what the players think of him. He got rehired. That tells me what the players think of him. I heard Jason Kelsey. That tells me what the players uh, think of him. I yeah. heard what Shane Steichen said, a guy who's you know obviously a friend of his and no longer in the organization. But he said some key things in an interview about Nick Sirianni. Those things told me that Nick has the respect, but maybe he just needs a little fine-tuning. Well, that's the thing I also wanted to bring up and ask you as a quick follow-up, because all the players have said the same exact thing about Nick Sirianni. He's a leader. We love him. We don't want him gone. I don't know where that notion is coming from, but the media, not specifically you or I or Josh or anybody on this program, but the media has kind of, I believe at least, blown the second half collapse out of proportion in search for answers as to what caused it. Would you agree? I don't think anybody has the answer to this, including the Flyers. I, I mean, the, I, why do I, the Flyers are on the Flyers mind, on the mind, baby. Including the Eagles. I don't think, you know, like, if you sat someone down in a room and said, what happened to this? Unless there was something definitive, some definitive cancer that they could say, we know what happened. This is what it was. But I don't think they can look and say, hey, this guy fell off or that guy fell off or the coaching was – like, I think it's just a – a a uh, combination of multiple things all happening at the same time. Like this team was kind of scratching and clawing its way, but they were finding its way to win, its ways to victory. Which people would say good teams find ways to win. Look, they won games this year against Buffalo, Kansas City, Dallas, Miami. Those were all good playoff teams. They were crap teams. They beat good teams this year. So. To try to figure out what happened to this team is baffling, and that's why I think that Sirianni's back here because I think the players say, "Look, we we this is AJ Brown has said it multiple times. This wasn't the coaches; this was on us." Yeah, I, I 
definitely think the media has blown it out of proportion a little bit just in that constant search of answers because, you know, obviously they didn't have their press conference for a while after the season ended. The snowstorm delayed things, so there was a lot of time for speculation there and a lot of reports coming out that added to that uh, added fuel to that fire. So I agree with you. I'm just curious to see what Howie Roseman's going to do, how aggressive he is going to be, and how much trust he's going to put in the current guys in their contract on this roster, at least on defense. Because we know the offense is pretty much set in stone, barring a Jason Kelsey retirement or you know any other sort of injury to happen to this squad. So I, I really I think the defensive side of the ball is going to be make or break for Howie Roseman this offseason. And hey, a guy we talked about yesterday has officially been granted permission to seek a trade in Legereus Sneed. So I, I will definitely be gluing my eyes to that sweepstakes because he would be, like I said yesterday, just a huge addition and a huge splash to the Eagles. All right, my fifth and final question, kind of a feel-good, uh, more fun question. And Josh, I want to incorporate you into this as well. Today marks the five-year anniversary of Bryce Harper signing with the Philadelphia Phillies for 13 years and $330 million. This signing, in my opinion and I'm sure yours as well, is already paying for itself, showing immediate results. But what I'd like to know is, do you remember where you were, what you were doing, and how you reacted moments after the news broke? And when I say how you reacted, obviously you were very happy, but like audibly, what did you did you say anything? Did you like pump your fist in your house? Where were you? <laughs> what were you doing and how did you react? Um, man, uh, where was I when they signed uh, Harper? I remember where I was when he did his press conference on the roof of the, uh, dugout in, uh, in Clearwater. I don't know that I remember where I was when, when he signed. Well, I'll have to go back and look at the time of these tweets. I believe it was late afternoon because I had just gotten out of school at the time. I was going to say, what time and what day of the week was it? Yeah, I, I want to say close to like late in the four o'clock hour, possibly. I mean, I could have been on, I, I, on the I, show. I could have been right. I could have been on the air when it happened, and and you know, um, if that's the case, I mean, these shows run into each other. I don't know what happened yesterday. I don't right. know what happened in the three o'clock hour, let alone what happened. But I do remember when Harper. It was like a Saturday afternoon. They were playing a, a spring training game. In Clearwater, and he had a press conference on the dugout before the spring training. I remember that because my girlfriend and I were moving in together, and I was helping her move her stuff out of her house, and we were, like, taking the stuff in and out, and I was trying to watch the press conference as we kept going in and out of the house with the boxes. <laughs> Perfect day to uh, try and move in, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I was uh, – where was I? I had the thought about it earlier. Oh, that's right. I had just gotten out of school and I was walking my dog and obviously I was waiting for the news just very, I'll say impatiently because I just wanted it to, do, it to be done and he signed kind of late as well. So I'm sitting there walking my dog and I go look at my phone, just to check the time. I guess, I think it was to see what time my parents were coming home because I was hungry or something. And all of a sudden, <laughs> five minutes ago, John Heyman, Bryce Harper signs with the Phillies, no opt-outs, nothing like that. I literally, I'm not lying at all, jumped for joy and forgot that I was walking my dog for a second. Luckily, the leash was long enough to the point where I didn't hurt him. But I jumped for joy. I go, let's bleep and go. And everyone in my old town must have thought I was a crazy person. But I don't I don't regret it whatsoever. Well, of course not. Uh, and those are the moments, time. though. Like, that's the moment. Like, now, you would say, um, like, five years ago when that happened, did you think they would have won a World Series by now? No. 
Okay. I, thought, I definitely thought they'd get close, make the playoffs. See, there I agree. Too many I, holes when he signed. And I think they've exceeded ex- – I think he has exceeded expectations. Like what you thought Harper was going to be and what the team would be with him. Like I think they have – like getting to a World Series and being a World Series contender, I think that – you were hoping for that when you signed them, but I, you weren't sure that it was going to happen like immediately. Yeah, it took a little bit for the plane to take off because there were about two or three mediocre years, you know, barely getting above 500 with Harper on the team. And then they finally, you know, we're in the glory days now. They make back to back NL championship series and hopefully win a World Series in the next two to three years. But Josh, do you remember where you were when this news broke? Well, I just looked it up. It was a Thursday. It was in 2019. Okay. So, so was I at... Um... No, I wasn't. It was February, so I wasn't at Chickies and Peach. Yeah, so I'm, but I'm assuming, considering I never leave this place, I was probably here. I was probably <laughs> sitting where I am. Can right you find now. the time? Can you find that? I try to find the time. Don't say I'm going to double check. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check. I'm not going to double check. There you go. No discount <laughs> double check here. Yeah. Do you remember if you had any like distinct reaction to it, like audibly, Josh? I mean, I know I was happy. I mean, right. I was, as, I as was, we all were. I remember that off season specifically how the conversation was about Machado and Harper. I remember the mm-hmm. whole thing where like Machado came to the stadium and, you know, but I was always a Harper guy and I remember people, there were people out there who didn't want Bryce Harper because they viewed him as like this, you know, this, uh, this brat or something because of the incident with Applebon. And, I just remember always thinking, I'm like, this guy, if he's your guy, you want him on your team. You just hate him he's on the other team, and you want that guy on your team. Yeah. Well, listen, right. I, I that year I do remember it was Machado, obviously, or Harper, and I was more for Harper than Machado that year. And Machado now is, you know, he's already got another contract. That was a big thing here. So um, I think – Harper has fit in as perfectly as anybody could ever imagine. By the way, Jeff Passan tweeted at 2.52 p.m. that day. Okay. So So it was in the middle of the sports bath. It was before the 3 o'clock hour, so I was getting ready to go to break. Yeah. Yeah, You probably broke the news on the other side of the break. I probably would happen. We probably went to break, came back at 3 o'clock, and said Bryce Harper is now a Philly. I know we're against it here, but would you say this is the greatest Philadelphia Phillies free agent signing in history just five years into this contract? Um, yeah, I, signing, it's, it's gotta be. I can't even, I mean, Jim Tomey, you could throw in there mainly because the Tomey signing was the one that changed the, the franchise in terms of they were now going from a team that was just going to constantly be an also ran to, hey, we're now going for, to win. And that signing, while they didn't win with Tomey, that was their first swing in free agency. Now, they really didn't sign anybody in free agency so much after that. Like, you know, the guys that they got in the World Series years were mostly homegrown guys. You had Utley and, and, and Rollins and Harper and Hamels and that crew. Did, did Worth come from elsewhere? Worth, they signed as like a, um, he was like an un, like a not, not a non-rock, but he had been hurt yeah, for right. years. And, and, uh, the GM at the time, uh, Lee, not Lee Thomas, um, Gillick, Pat Gillick had mm. been with, um, Worth in someplace else Baltimore. In, in Baltimore and signed him as like, you know, Hey, let's just take a flyer on a guy who had been a first round pick. 
It's crazy because Harper could be the number one Phillies free agent signing of all time, and they might have the number two in Zach Wheeler on the roster with him right now. Because and hopefully, of how... hopefully Trey Turner supplants that. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, hopefully he starts off. Don't forget Kyle Schwarber either. Yeah, I mean, they got him for pretty cheap, and he's been an absolute power, you know, great power bat for them. But right. anyways, and with Phils, that was five with Danny Rye. All right, five from Danny Rye here on the Sports Bash. Uh, we'll see him uh, next week here with more five topics from Danny Rye. And that sounder right there means I need caller number seven at 609-573-3776, 609-573-3776. Caller seven, I need caller seven right now because you are entered for a chance to see the Phillies play the Orioles at Camden Yards in Baltimore. That's right. We're going to send you and a friend to Baltimore's Camden Yards to see the Phillies and the Orioles this summer, thanks to Philly Sports Trips, caller 7-609-573-3776. You must be present to win at Maynard's in Margate on opening day, March 28th. Phillies, Braves will be watching the game at Maynard's. And caller 7, you'll be there with a chance to see the Phillies play in Baltimore against the Orioles. It's all thanks to Maynard's and Margate and Philly Sports Trips. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. Five o'clock hour Sports Bash. Thanks to uh, Danny Rye. Another edition of Five from Danny Rye. Nikki Earnshaw will be back with Nick's Nuggets tomorrow and Friday. Sports Bash for you guys out there on a Wednesday edition. Talked to Keith Pompey earlier in the show. Got some good stuff on the Sixers from him. Flyers fans, it's time to level up your game day ritual with the ultimate power duo, Flyers and Union Forge Vodka. Cheer on the Flyers with the best tasting vodka product produced right here in Philly. Grab a Union Forge bottle today. We're actually going to be out with Flyers tickets this weekend. You'll be able to come out and uh, win some Flyers tickets uh, with the Sports Bash this weekend long. Uh, I think that, uh, and we'll uh, give you the details on that in just a second. I do think that the Flyers are going to be an interesting, like, you know, they got 22 games left. They play back-to-backs on Friday and Saturday. They cut Cal Peterson or waived them today. I, I don't know what the heck they're going to do for goaltender. I mean, right now, Felix Sandstrom, I guess, is the backup, and he has been average at, at the Lehigh Valley. It's not like he's like, wow, some excitable prospect that you're bringing up. You're bringing up a guy who's been pretty average at the at the uh, minor league level. Which opens the door for, are they planning on trading for a backup goaltender before the deadline? I know the goaltending market is not a, uh, a fresh one out there, but, I mean, you're right. Guy, they, they had a guy a couple of years ago um, they traded for, because they were in a similar situation, they just needed somebody to play goal. Oh, man, I think they got it from Carolina, I want to say, is my oh, guess. Oh, Peter Razek. Uh yeah. Peter Morazic. Yep, that's exactly the guy. Like they, like somebody to that effect, where they just need a veteran who can play, yeah, uh, and just be the backup here. They're going to roll with Ernson uh, the rest of the way, so we'll see. But that's going to be a storyline to watch. Speaking of the Flyers, uh, this weekend we will be uh, over at uh, the Byright at the Black Horse Pike in Williamstown. We will be there from noon to one. And we'll have Flyers tickets with Union Forge sampling going on. You can sample the vodka from noon to 2. And then we're going to be leaving the Byright in Williamstown and heading over to the one in West Defford. 
So we'll have a pair of ticket tickets for the Flyers in Williamstown and then another pair of tickets at the Byright in West Defford. So you can uh, come on out and uh, try out the best-tasting vodka product. Union Forge will be there on this Saturday, noon to 2, uh, is the tasting noon to one. Josh and I will be there in Williamstown. And then on Saturday, we'll be in West Effort from three to four. Looking forward to that. Yeah, it's always good to sling some ticket giveaways. You know, we, uh, we did the same Forget thing. Get the tickets. I want the vodka. Do you even drink vodka? I will. I mean, it's not something. Yes, I, I have drank vodka. I, I'm not a big liquor drinker, but I right. will drink vodka. I was just curious because I know that, you know, Happy Hour Friday, one of the things you say is you're, you're very specific about what well, you I just like. don't drink a lot of liquor. Yeah. Well, you're not a social alcoholic like I am, so. Um, no, like the other night. So we were out somewhere, and the gentleman who owns the the establishment asked me to do a shot with him, and I'm not a big shot guy, but. I'm always open for a shot. Yeah, like I was literally in Seattle a couple of weeks ago, and it was like eleven o'clock at night, and the guys near me, their whole group, bought everyone shots, and they had an extra one. They turned to me like, "You want it?" I was like, "Sure." Yeah, I mean, I didn't want to say no. I mean, I did say no a few times, and then he kind of uh, yeah, peer pressure. He, anyway. he made me feel guilty, not guilty, just <laughs> oh, peer right, pressure. I'll do it. My uh, guilt fell to the peer pressure. Yeah, well, I, you know, when somebody says to you, like, "What? Like, do you want a shot?" And generally, my answer is no. I don't want a shot. But if someone says, "What kind of shot do you want?" Um, that's a little different. I don't now even have an answer generally because oh, I don't, you don't have an answer. Well, at all. I just don't drink a lot of liquor. Like so, if I'm doing a shot, I don't really have a go-to shot because mm. I just don't like drink a lot of liquor. Now, when you were in college, did you did you also like not do shots back then, or were you just like, oh, yeah, yeah I did back then, yeah. But I got to a certain point so, like, where in my was, life where, where I was made the, the age decision. where? Oh, were... it was a while. I haven't drank a lot of liquor probably in over ten years, okay. and for no particular reason other than I just your taste evolved, your interest. Yeah, evolved. you know, it's just like uh, you know. It kind of got to a point where I'm like, I don't feel great. <laughs> I don't feel great the next day. I'm kind of getting old for this. Um, so yeah, but I, 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 every once in a blue moon, I don't even remember the shot. The guy, you know, it, it was something where you could it, too much sugar's the problem. The sugar kind of messes with me. Okay, so it's the the sugar that they use to cover up the harshness. Yeah, I of mean, the hard liquor. like I would drink like. For instance, the shot that would be my go-to shot generally, I drank Jameson, mm-hmm. would be like, I'll do a shot of Jameson. Okay. But then you're mixing Jameson with, like, you know, whatever. Now you got a lot of sugar in that thing. Right, because now the sugar rush, starts, sugar rush starts hitting you, and you're trying to enjoy your evening, and now you don't know what to do. Well, when it's it the hits. next day. That sugar just kind of, there's so much sugar in, like... Like uh, sitting in your system? Yeah, whatever the, the things are called. That's the thing. I don't even know the names of these shots anymore, like... <laughs> Some of the stuff that they'll get. Yeah, hey, you want, uh, you know, this one or that one? It's like, yeah, sure, because it doesn't like a pickleback, for instance. So, like, if I started naming like random shots, you have no idea what's in. Well, there. I mean, maybe I would. I just can't think of all, any off the top of my like head. Like a lemon drop. Okay, yes, I know what a lemon drop is. Okay, do you know what a, a stoplight is? That I haven't heard of. Okay, well, stoplights are similar to like a Long Beach, Long Island iced tea, but in shot form. Basically. You know, when I was in Morgantown, there was a bar that had Long Island iced tea nights. 
Okay. It was like maybe Tuesdays. But like on Tuesday nights, it was like $5 Long Island iced teas. And they would serve them to you in like a mason, like a huge mason jar. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I this mean, sounds like a good time to me. Yeah, the Morgantown was phenomenal. They had the most unbelievable like specials. We had 10 cent drafts, quarter pitcher night. I mean, you couldn't compete with any of that stuff. No, you can't. So the, the, um, so the point what is did that you say, we, oh, Long Island iced tea. Yeah. yeah. I like the Long Island iced tea. So you do prefer a Long Island over to Long Beach? I don't know what a Long Beach is. Long Beach is you take out the, the cola out of it and you put in cranberry juice. Mm, not a big cranberry juice. See, I love cranberry juice. Yeah. I'm a big cranberry juice guy. Yeah. I, I like, I would do, uh, like a seven and seven, something okay. like that. Seagram's, uh, seven with a seven up. Again, I'm not a big liquor drinker. Yeah. So, but anyway, we'll be we'll be out there anyway with a Union Forge yeah. vodka. Yes, we will be, um, and I'll be the one drinking it probably. <laughs> possible, possible. But we do have the Flyers tickets. So Williamstown, yeah. buy right. West Defford, buy right. Stop on out. All right, Mel Kuyper Jr. Mock Draft 2.0. So you know I love a mock draft. Yes, you do. Um, it just you know it's it's conversation about stuff that we don't know any answers to, but you always like to be what guys are going to be in play here. So I don't know how I feel about the, where the Bears are, but he's got Caleb Williams going one. So he's assuming that this trade's going to happen and the Bears take Caleb Williams at number one. This is going to be something that goes back and forth until they move on from Justin Fields. Or... Do we think there's any scenario where some people have suggested that they should keep Fields and draft Williams? I hate that idea. I mean, why would you keep – what's the old saying? You had two quarterbacks, you have none? Like, why, why would you have two quarterbacks? Just move on. Like, let, let the let – the, it's – No, no. See, I don't like that way of thinking. Why? Because what happened to letting the quarterback develop and, and watch for a year? Well, what happened to it is most veteran quarterbacks don't want to deal with that. Well, the veteran quarterback could play. I'm talking about the rookie quarterback sitting there. What are you talking about? No, I'm saying that I most said, veteran quarterbacks don't want to deal with the mentorship and all that stuff. Okay. Well, listen, I have seen the Green Bay Packers in my lifetime have basically Brett Favre, who sat on the bench and didn't play right away. Yep. And then they drafted Aaron Rodgers, who sat on the bench and didn't play right away. Right. And now I see Jordan Love, who sat on the bench and didn't play right away. Everybody is trying to figure out how to find a quarterback, what to do with quarterbacks. If I'm going to emulate somebody, I'm going to emulate what they're doing. I'll draft a guy, and I'll sit him for a year or two. But here's the difference. None of those guys were the number one pick in the draft. No, um, but both were first round picks. Far was a second round pick. But first round is different than number one. It is, but we are always in such a rush to play these quarterbacks. And I think that's why we have such a high rate of failure at that position because regardless if they're drafted one, where Caleb Williams will be drafted, or I don't know, where was Jordan Love? Like in the twenties? He was in the twenties. I can right. pull it up exactly. And same with uh, Aaron Rodgers. Right. Whether you're drafted at 1 or 20, these guys are getting rushed into playing sometime, and they're not ready to play. So what's to say the Bears say, you know what? We don't want to pay Justin Fields. We also don't want to trade Justin Fields. Now, 
we're willing to possibly now the problem with that is if you could trade Justin Fields now and get stuff for him, that's where this becomes a problem. Right. By the way, Jordan Love is twenty six overall. Okay, twenty six. Still first round pick, and so is right, still first Aaron round Rogers. pick. Yeah. You know, which honestly the great the great value of the first round pick is more so having the extra year on the rookie contract. Yeah. More so than anything else. But here's the thing. I wouldn't want Justin Fields and Caleb Williams in the same building because now you have the blind leading the blind. You have two young quarterbacks who have basically no mentorship, no supervision, no nothing. See, I don't know enough about Fields and what he's like in the building, how well-liked he is there, what kind of leader he is. But for me, if I'm the Bears, I feel like the Bears are starting to kind of round a team together here. If I'm the Bears, in a perfect world, I don't have to draft Caleb Williams. I keep Justin Fields, and I trade the number one pick, hopefully with Washington. And now I'm at number two. And then I trade number two and get out of there, and now I get picks from Washington and then whatever team wants to move into the number two spot. And now... That plan I like. I am overloaded with talent to the team that I already have because they have a defense that's starting to move in the right direction. Their offense needs some work. They need some offensive line help. Okay, well, how many first-round picks am I getting for the number one pick? How many first-round picks am I getting for the number two pick? Right. Okay, now I'm the Chicago Bears. I'm in business. As opposed to Caleb Williams, go play with this donkey team that you, that I'm going to hand you. It sounds like the Bears need to contact uh, Sonny Weaver Jr. and have him help them with the draft. Yeah, exactly. That would be the guy. Or me. Or you. That's I fine. I feel like I'm doing a good job with I this. I feel like you would cost less. I'm, I'm trying to run a hard bargain on my next contract here. I'm not getting lowballed anymore. Well, I think that between being lowballed and you know <laughs> saying there's a huge difference between like for example if if the Bears called Mike Gill and said yeah. listen Mike we we can't get Kevin Costner he's going to cost us ten million will you do it for one million I'm worth more than one million so you would say no probably I need two point five for that job. <laughs> Is you got to pay my moving it, expenses. It's a point five yeah. for the taxes. Yeah, my moving expenses. A oh, movie expenses. Uh, number two, Jaden Daniels. Is that too high? See, I like Jaden Daniels a lot. I know there's a lot of people out there who keep talking about, you know, oh, he's thin. He's not very big. I know Greeny said a million times this morning about how he, he looks at Jaden Daniels and thinks of RG three. I just don't think that Daniels was a guy who runs as recklessly as RG3 did. So I'm fine with him. Um, number three, Drake May. Now, this is New England, too. So New England trying to go quarterback again. This is Mel Kuyper's mock draft 2.0. So it's first three picks, quarterbacks. I hate this for New England. They, <laughs> they need more help than quarterbacks. Didn't, like yesterday, didn't somebody have Jaden Daniels going to New England? Yeah, and I said I didn't like that either. Exactly. So... Do you not? You just said you like Jaden Daniels. I like Daniels, but I don't like a quarterback for New England. Well, you're assuming that their offense doesn't have a lot of help around it. That's they need not a lot of help. That's not like you know set in stone. No, it's not. But I just think that you could use that. Like for example, if you're the Patriots, why don't you trade down? Um, because they need to try to find the next quarterback there. When you have, and bad thing, I don't know what these teams think about these quarterbacks. I don't love any of the three. Like, I don't, all right. This isn't like the last couple of years. Like, I wasn't a big Tua guy because of, and by the way, Caleb Williams is not the biggest guy in the world either. 
He's bigger than Tua and Bryce Young. Well, he's bigger than those guys. He's bigger than those two. But he's not bigger than Justin Herbert, for example. Right. He is still, he's only like 6'1". He's not a big, big guy. He's just bigger than the last two guys who were like the big name quarterback. Right. So that does concern me a little bit. Um, I would not take Jaden Daniels or Drake May in the top three. I, I just like these teams that just crazy to me how crazy they go for quarterbacks who just are not in that. They're not good enough to be in that position in the draft. So your so your contention is of the reach. Yeah, they're just overdrafted. Guys. It doesn't mean they stink. I just say right. Jaden Daniels isn't the second best player in the draft. But that quarter, that position is so much of a necessity that teams are just willing to just wildly swing right. and just to try to get one. All right, uh, number four, Marvin Harrison Jr. I don't think anybody would have a problem with any team that drafted him. He That's be, Arizona, by the way. I think you could make the argument he's the best player in the draft. Well, and then, you know, you look at uh, Arizona, you know, now they had Larry Fitzgerald for all those years, and you get Marvin Harrison, and now you get that number one A wide receiver for the next 10 years. So good fit there. And by the way, when Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins were both healthy, that was a pretty good duo. Yeah, I mean, they went to a Super Bowl for guys. Well, not uh, Arizona with Murray, but right. Fitzgerald. You and, mean with Fitzgerald and Anquan Bolden with Kurt Warner. Yes. Um, who's calling me right now? <laughs> Somebody who's not listening to 97.3 ESPN. Uh, potential span. That's always, it's a good friend of mine. Um, all right, Chargers. Isn't that from that commercial with Jimmy Butler and what's that guy's name? Yeah, the guy calls. Yeah, the guy is trying to act like he didn't call. Or <laughs> he's trying to get out of Jimmy Butler working him out. He's like, "Oh, he's a good friend of mine." Yeah, uh, JC Latham from uh, the tackle from Alabama for the Chargers. Of course, they need some offensive line help. That's been a problem for them. Giants, uh, you know, a Duzne, a Duzne Z. Jeez, Rome Oduzne. There from Washington. Yes. I like him, the wide receiver from Washington. Yep. Um, they need some wide receiver help in um, New York big time. So that would be a spot. Although if I'm the Giants, I might. Oh, man. I don't know. Do you take Daniel Jones? Is it time to do they try to sit, make a big move here and move up to try to get a quarterback? I wouldn't do that. But now you're playing with Daniel Jones again. I mean, who who are you? Who are you going to sell more on at this point? Daniel Jones or Mac Jones? Mac Jones. You're more out on Mac. Yeah, I think Daniel. Daniel Jones. His problem is he's been injured. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, the year before, I mean, they went to the playoffs and he was decent. I mean, he wasn't great. That's well, he the was problem. Decent, yeah. he's, he's not. He's Tobias Harris now. He's paid way too much, but he's not terrible. <laughs> uh, Joe Alt for Tennessee, offensive tackle. Atlanta, Dallas Turner, outside linebacker. So Raheem Morris, the head coach, goes defense. And yeah. their problem is they need some offensive line help. And they, they need a quarterback. They do. They need both. So if you're Atlanta, would you be one of the teams considering trying to trade up? If I liked one of the quarterbacks, I guess so. I don't like one of the quarterbacks enough to trade up for. Okay. Um, Bears, number nine. They have another pick. Keep that in mind. That's so goes, their pick. Yeah, it goes back to the number one pick is Carolina's pick. Correct. It goes back to if you trade twice all the picks you get, plus you have your own pick here. They're going Malik Neighbors here from uh, LSU, the wide receiver for Chicago. I would like that pick. You pair him up with um, the guy they got from Carolina. DJ Moore. There you go. And now you got yourself a little something there for Justin Fields. Or whoever. Or Caleb Williams. Brock Bowers, tight end of the Jets. That would be a, a huge spot for... 
to, for uh, Rodgers to have a tight end there. A they legitimate don't really have tight a, end. Oh, he's. Very, he hasn't had like a real tight end in a while. Uh, Jared Verse from Florida State, defensive end, Minnesota, number 11, number 12, J.J. McCarthy, Denver. Too high. Yeah, the Denver quarterback situation. I told you the other day, I, I think they just want to try to get their quarterback now, like the guy who's their guy. I just don't think J.J. McCarthy, I think he's way overrated. Uh, Byron Murphy, Texan, uh, Texas defensive tackle to the Raiders. Uh you know, the Raiders head coach used to coach Jaden Daniels. I'm surprised there's not more speculation about the Raiders trying to trade up. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, and they need a quarterback. Antonio Pierce said that he actually helped recruit Jaden Daniels to ASU. Um, yeah, they're at 13, though. How do they make that move? That's a, that's a, that's like the Eagles the one year when they went from like right. 13 up to 2 to get Carson Wentz, right? Wasn't yeah. that 13 to 2? Uh, well, they went from, I think it was, what was it? I think it was like 13 to 8, and then the Yeah, they made like that. multiple they moves. They made multiple moves to jump and jump. Uh, New Orleans goes with a lineman, Penn State, Ola Fashionu. Indianapolis, Terry and Arnold, a corner from Alabama. Try to get some defensive help over there. Seattle, uh, Troy uh, Fatanu is the guard from Washington. Yep. Uh, 17. Sense. Jacksonville, Quinion Mitchell, Toledo. I know uh, DeCheco's high on him. So now you're starting to get in the range where you could see guys the Eagles might be kind of sniffing around. Cincinnati, Talese uh, Fuanga, Oregon State at um, number 18 to Cincinnati. He's interesting because the last mock draft, Mel Kuyper had him going to Philadelphia as the 22nd pick. Right. Number 19, Cooper DeJean, corner from, uh, now he's kind of a corner safety kind he's of a hybrid. A hybrid guy for the Rams. That, he seems like such a Rams pick. That does seem like a Rams pick because the Rams like to play hybrid guys. Pittsburgh, number 20, Nate Wiggins from Clemson. Okay. So you go defensive back and pair him up with Joey Porter, who they drafted. Was that last year? It was last year. Wow, man. It seems like that was so long ago. Joey right. Porter Jr. to you. Miami. At number 21, Graham Burton, the center from Duke. So Miami, of course, needs some offensive line help. They had oh, all they sorts do. of problems last year there. And then at number 22, Leatu Leitu, the outside linebacker, UCLA to Philadelphia. He's an edge rusher. That's an interesting one because you would say, well, you have Reddick. Right. You've got Nolan Smith. Yep. And... You're bringing in a guy who has a medical – he retired medically mm-hmm. a couple years ago. He would have to be medically cleared Clear. by your doctors. And we know the Eagles have a history of not always medically clearing people. Yeah, he had a neck injury and retired because of it, similar to the situation with, with D.K. DK Metcalf. Metcalf. Yep. So for the people who are always saying the Eagles should have taken D.K. Metcalf, he had a medical red flag because he had a neck injury, and so does – uh So I find this one to be an interesting spot there. But the player, if you ever watch him play, is outstanding. He's a stud. He is a stud. I would say the only thing I would say about him is he's an edge rusher, but he is a big dude. He's also an older guy, isn't he? Isn't he like 24 or something like that? Well, he medically retired, so he missed, I think, a year or two with the, uh, when he he started his career in 2019. He didn't play 2020 because of the COVID thing, and then 2021 he was out. So he's only played three years of college, but he started back in 2019. 
So, yeah, he's a little older. He's 6'5", 265. I mean, he's a big athlete, man. And his numbers at UCLA were eye-popping. I mean... He's a little younger than I thought, by the way. He turns 24 later this year. So. 112 pressures and 23 and a half sacks in the last two seasons. So, if he's healthy and that's an edge rusher... That would be an interesting pick there. It's just a question of, as you said, would the Eagles actually clear him? That's the big thing. It, 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 he's got the neck issue. So he would have to be medically cleared by every team, by the way. Right. That has to. That well, that's part of what this week is about, the combine, right? It's that the players are there getting their medical evals. That's right. And that's why I think everybody should be there. I was on a show last night. The, the guy asked me about that topic. About the guys, not people who aren't there? Not going to the combine. The players or the coaches? The players. The college players saying that they don't think they, you know, they're not showing up to throw or go to the combine. I said, so if I apply for a job, do I just get to sit at home in my slippers? Or do you want me to, like, if you're going to hire me, do you want to come in and shake my hand and meet me? You want to shake your hand and meet you. Of course you do. So why would an NFL player who I'm going to pay millions of dollars be any different? Well, it's also news that guys like Mike McCarthy and Sean McVay are not there either, so... People have been making questions about that. Coming up next, it's today's Big Three. Don't go away. It's this. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mike Gill. And I am the voice of the voiceless. On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Don't forget, download the app in the Apple Store or Google Play, and you can take the Sports Bash and all of the Favorite parts of 97.3 ESPN with you on the go, including Flyers Hockey, which you can listen to on the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Mike Gill, all right, it's time for today's Big Three. Mike, we're going to start with one of the hot-button topics. Danny Ryan touched on this a little bit during his five with Danny Rye, but this NFLPA survey results is getting a lot of traction on social media. Now, before... I talk about some of the results. I want to touch on, so J.J. Watt tweeted this earlier today. I thought it was a very interesting angle to take on this because a lot of people say, okay, players voting in a poll, whatever. But J.J. Watt said that during his NFL career, he said, I have been in meetings, people have handed out voting sheets for Pro Bowl, NFL Top 100, et cetera, and most of those get tossed in the trash. They don't only put down their friends' names. The only two that I've seen players players take seriously are team captains and the NFLPA ownership facility report card survey. So this is a former player saying, "If you're this is legitimate, like these are guys are submitting." And according to the NFLPA, over seventeen hundred players voted in this. So this is not a small sample size, Mike. This is a legitimate sample size. And the headline that's interesting is that the Kansas City Chiefs rank 31st in the NFL, according to the NFLPA survey, 
Why, you may ask? Because while Andy Reid is the number one head coach in all the NFL, Chiefs owner Clark Hunt is rated the worst of all the owners in the NFL. What is your reaction to that dichotomy? Pretty uh, surprising to hear that he's the worst. The worst owner? He is the worst. He's ranked last out of all 32 owners. I wonder why that is. I've never heard that he's like a jerk or that they don't handle uh, their, their alumni well or anything to that effect. Chiefs are 26 in food cafeteria, 31st in nutrition, 31st in the training room, and 32nd with training staff. But why would they hate the owner? I mean, are they just saying he's cheap around the... They're, they're saying he's cheap, yeah. Well, it appears that none of those things matter because right, they're, still winning. <laughs> they're the best team in the league and have been for some time now. I mean, I don't know what to make of that. I- I'm pretty surprised to hear, like we always talk about it from the top down, and you would think that the Chiefs have this great ownership group. We've, I-, I have never heard anybody say, man, I don't know how the Chiefs are doing this with this awful, like even when the Chiefs weren't a good franchise, it was always that the Hunt family was, you know, a very good ownership group. Now, the ESPN.com does point out the Chiefs did listen to one of the criticisms from last year's survey that they did replace the stools in the locker room with actual chairs. Apparently, in the locker rooms for years, the Chiefs did not have actual chairs in the locker room. They were all just like stools, basically. Like you were like sit at kindergarten almost. This is, well, they do have an older stadium there. They do an older you stadium. You would think that they could get that uh, rectified. You think they could get four chairs. I mean, come on. Yeah. It's a little silly, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm surprised by these uh, revelations. So now people might be wondering out there, what about the Eagles, right? So the Eagles are number two, Mike, in the NFL in food and cafeteria. And the Eagles are number one in food freshness, according to the NFL PA player survey. Um, food, fr- I mean, these all sound like frivolous things that they're getting. <laughs> at. Like, what the hell do I care? I mean, seriously, like, I, well, you should care because the players care. Yeah, but apparently, the Kansas City p- p- players care that their food sucks, and they're winning the Super Bowl. The Eagles have great food, and they c- completely collapse. <laughs> so you're saying the What's Eagles the- need to get worse food? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you go back to the whole Chip Kelly thing with all the nutrition and, and, right? and all that stuff. That didn't go very well. So no, it didn't. I think that we're reading way too much into some of this stuff. I got an idea. Get me good coaches and better players. Well, you asked about the coach. Nick Sirianni, number six in the NFL among all NFL coaches, according to the survey. So the players say, Mike Gill, Nick Sirianni is a top ten head coach. Yeah, I mean, those things are all arbitrary, really. I mean, we were talking about this with a guy last night who tweeted at me. He hated Doc. This guy, nice guy. um, Hated Doc Rivers. Okay. Okay. Hated Doc Rivers. And he felt by them hiring Nick Nurse that that was going to be such a big upgrade that, you know, we wouldn't see these weird losses for no particular reason, right? And that hasn't been the case. In fact, I think one of the interesting parts about um, this season has been last year Doc Rivers without Joel Embiid was 11-5. and five. And Nick Nurse this year without Joel Embiid is 7-17. and 17. And he tweeted at me, not sure the upgraded coach was as large as I had hoped. And I said, there is no coach that makes the impact that you want or were hoping for. And he said, right, but I thought going from Doc to basic competence would be an equivalent jump. 
And I said, I think that Doc Hate was a bit overstated because he was so unlikable. These coaches are all the same, essentially, other than maybe like Eric Spolstra. Who else makes a legitimate impact in the games, wins and losses? I don't know that that guy exists. Now, in the NFL, I do think it's different. I do think the coaching staff, the preparation and all that stuff means a lot. But my point, I think, is you have a lot of really smart coaches, really well-prepared coaches, mm-hmm. really good coaches. And I don't think there's like this like um, stew of guys who all stink. I think you got a lot of guys at the bottom. Like, there's a couple guys who are just like probably aren't qualified or in over their head. Sure. But I think most of like Sirianni, it doesn't, the guy went to the Super Bowl. I mean, you can sit here and say the guy can't coach and he went to the Super Bowl, but it doesn't make any sense. So it's not surprising to hear that. The guy went to the playoffs three times. He's won, how about 63% of his games? Yeah. It's a, it's a tough argument to make on the other side to say he stinks. Really quick, for those who may be wondering, what is the, is there any, any positive takeaways from these surveys? Well, According to the ESPN.com article, the Arizona Cardinals no longer charge players for their meals, and they have updated the equipment in the weight room. The Jacksonville Jaguars brought in a Terminator, got rid of all the rats running around. Terminator? Uh, like a Terminex, you know, pest control. Oh, okay, I got it. I got not, it. not like Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator. Uh-huh. Um, but they brought in, they cleaned up to the facilities for the Jags, went from 28th to 5th because they got rid of the rats. That would be a reason that you would go higher. <laughs> like, if you saw a rat running around the building here, Mike, like, wouldn't your reaction be, come on, man? I don't know that I've ever actually seen a rat. You've never seen, a, like, an actual rat? I don't think so. Is that, like, it's, it's kind of weird, though, isn't it? Like, everyone's seen a rat at some point. I, I don't know that I've ever been, like, at a spot. Like, a, I've never had rats in my house. I've never had rats on my property. I haven't been in a restaurant where I've seen a rat. Like, where would I come across a rat unless I was in, like, a dirt place? I was in the Washington, D.C. bus terminal I saw a rat. Okay, that would be a spot. I haven't been in the Washington, D.C. bus terminal. It but you're, like, acting place. like you it's bizarre that I have, like, where would I have seen a rat? I guess you haven't been in enough shady places then. Not really. I mean, no. I, I, I mean, maybe I've seen what I don't recall, like, oh, there's a rat. Like, what's the most surprising animal you've ever seen somewhere? Like, like you've maybe seen like a raccoon or something, or like a fox, or um, I mean, I've seen a fox before when playing golf over in Linwood. Okay, at uh, Linwood Country Club, I've sound like a pretentious dude <laughs> at that one, but I've only played there once. Well, I've seen foxes in Ocean City, for example. Yeah, um, I think I have seen a raccoon before. Uh, so you're not allergic I mean, to I've nature. I've seen a what was that? I said you're not allergic to nature. No, I mean I've seen like a uh what would it be like an alligator or something in Florida. Like okay. you see them when you're going to Philly spring training, you'll you might see them a little bit here and there. Um what else would I just have seen? Like, hey, just randomly walking around. Oh, look at that. There's a um hmm. good question. I don't know. Well, while you chew on that Another NFL story that came out today, the Cleveland Browns are submitting, Mike, a proposal to move the NFL's trade deadline back two weeks. The current deadline comes after week eight of the season. 
for an 18-week season. But the Browns are saying that because of the 18-week season now and the year is longer, it should be pushed back to week 10. What are your thoughts on that? Which sports is for? The NFL. It would go from week 8 to week 10. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with that. Like, I, like now that there's an extra team in the playoffs, more teams are involved. Like for playoff position. Correct. I mean, so teams at that point, you would think we need the two extra weeks to kind of determine, and even that's not going to be enough. Browns GM Andrew Berry, former Eagles executive, by the way, believes that it's important to give more teams the flexibility they need and said that maybe their own situation would be different if they would have had a later trade deadline for themselves last year. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I think a lot of these teams at week eight of the season, you don't really know who you are or what you are. Not that you do at week 10 now, but you got to get the players and they have to learn the system and all that. So 10 seems like a good compromise. So you're on board with that proposal? Yeah, I'd, I'd be okay with that. I don't know why anybody would be against it. Well, I mean, maybe somebody sits there and looks at it and says, you know, why change it? It's working the way it is. You know, you know, people don't always like change sometimes. They have their reasons. Mm-hmm. Final story, Mike. So with all the conversation about the college football playoff, I was reading an article this morning while I was waiting for the idiots down at the pharmacy to actually do their jobs. And this article ran across, but Yahoo Sports explains that there's one negative side effect potentially to the expansion of the college football playoff that we might have talked about, Mike. The future of the Army-Navy game. So according to Ross Dellinger of Yahoo Sports, the current contract for the Army-Navy game stipulates with CBS that the second Saturday of every December is when the game is supposed to be played. But with the now changes coming to the college football playoff, there might be now bowl games pushed back to that weekend. So now the Army-Navy game will not be the standalone college football game of that day. Mm, not only a big deal. I think if you're playing like um, Ohio, Miami of Ohio against somebody, I don't think that's going to take any of the luster away from the, the game. I know it's cool that it's the only thing that weekend. I did see something. Where did I see this? Like, Well, it's another issue with it, too, but you... you what were you saying? Something, something about like was somebody joining a conference and they were going to play well, in the same conference? Like, so Army the other and Navy going to be in the same conference? Army Navy are now in the same conference, and they could play each other like back to they could play each other in the Army Navy game, but they could if they both made the conference championship, they Correct. could play back to back. They weeks. would play back to back weeks. So it's Army Athletic Director Mike Buddy explained that quote it's a tricky situation because. If Army and Navy are both trying not just win the conference championship and win the commander's trophy, because remember, all the military academy schools play each other for that trophy every year, right? So now you have an extra game for that trophy. Now you have them playing back-to-back weeks. And if you go back through college football history, Army would have been in the conversation with the 12-team playoff about 10 years ago. Yeah. So what if... That Army Navy game now compromises the college football playoff and the bowl schedule and the conference championship game. Yeah, there's a lot there. I mean, I think that would certainly lose some of the luster if they played in the conference championship game. And then again, I would almost say don't play the conference championship game. Just make the Army Navy, Navy game, game the, the conference, conference championship. championship game. That would be the way to do it. Oh, and then you have an extra week of build up. 
Exactly. Right? Well, yeah. I mean, then they would benefit from the, the or that all that stuff. But um, why? I don't understand because of all the bowl situation, yada yada. Like, what's the difference with those other crappy bowls? Just move them off of Saturday. Why do you need to play them on Saturday? Because some of them have historically played on Saturday. They have contracts with ESPN. You know, the TV networks dictate this stuff. Hmm. All right. I think there's a way around that, but it sounds like they don't want to be very creative. Well, listen, we know about corporations, right? Yes, we do. More Sports Bash coming up. We'll wrap up the show. By the way, before we do, uh, congratulations goes out to uh, Francis in Dover, Delaware. Hopefully, Francis uh, will see you at the uh, Phillies opening day, making the drive over from Dover, Delaware. And uh, we'll have one more chance for you to qualify coming up in about six minutes from now. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, getting ready to get out of here on this uh, Wednesday edition. Busy show today. Michael Gary, Keith Pompey, Andrew DeCicco. Thanks to those guys. Five from Danny Rye. Holy moly, we're reaching Thursday tomorrow. We'll be back with uh, Phil's in action tomorrow against the Blue Jays. They tied 7-7 today against the Braves. couple homers. Boom and Real Muto. Good to see those two guys start off with a good one. Also, Sixers and Flyers both have the night off. They're both off tomorrow as well. They both play Friday. Uh, Hornets for the Sixers, Capitals for the Flyers. You can hear the Sixers and Hornets on 97.3 ESPN. Flyers and Caps will be over on our sister station, Rock 1041 and the Rock 1041 free mobile app. Oh, boy. Good stuff today. Good mock draft. A lot of fun. Hopefully, we'll do it again tomorrow. Have a great night, everybody. But before I go, I need caller 7, 609-573-3776, 609-573-3776. Caller number 7 right now. You are entered to win a trip to Baltimore, Camden Yards, to see the Phillies play the Orioles at Camden Yards, this season for a Phillies-Orioles matchup June 15th. Pair of tickets, round-trip transportation, and the ultimate tailgate party thanks to Philly Sports Trips. How do you win? Be caller 7 right now to enter, and then you must be present to win at Maynard's in Margate on opening day. Our Phillies watch party opening day at Maynard's in Margate. We'll watch the game, 3 o'clock first pitch, and then one lucky winner, it could be you, caller 7, is going to see Phillies and Orioles at Camden Yards. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.